I had no idea it was going to get so intense at the end there. So all I need to say is, and I'm Jason, and then I just got to prepare for the quiz. Am I right? I'm like reeling, and I've only ever seen like clips of this movie. You need to have a column so at the end, the audience hears that I won. But if you if you make muscles with them, you can see you have muscles. My, my coworker was like, should I take boxing lessons for me? He gave me his card, and I was like, no, I don't think he's legit. Like, he's using deer antlers pre-workout. And she was like what does that mean what do you think jason you look kind of you're making a face i have not seen jason on a rant like that in many a moon hello and welcome to max and jason watch a movie i'm max i'm jason and i'm batman actually just kidding <laughs> who is that <laughs> this is anya our sometimes co-host and uh, stellar daughter of me not jason friend of friend of the pod friend of the pod Tonight we're going to be covering 2022's The Batman, directed by Matt Reeves, written, uh, the screenplay, written by Matt Reeves and Peter Craig, credited with the created by credits are Bill Finger and Bob Kane, starring in credits order, according to IMDb, Robert Pattinson as Bruce Wayne or The Batman, Zoe Kravitz as Selena Kyle or The Catwoman, Jeffrey Wright, uh, the illimitable Jeffrey Wright as Lieutenant James Gordon, Colin Farrell as... Oz slash the Penguin, Paul Dano as the Riddler, John Turturro as Carmine Falcone, and well, Andy Serkis as Alfred, and I'm going to mention him because he's so good in the role, Peter Sarsgaard as District Attorney Gil Coulson, and that probably rounds out the cast. Now, audience, generally, generally. Jason would immediately jump in and give us all kinds of grand production notes, but we're going to postpone that because Anya, our sometimes co-host friend of the pod, has devised a torture device for the next segment, and that torture device is trivia. Oh, is that my cue? That is, <laughs> yes, yes, that's your cue. Let me start all that from the top again. Anya just blew it. No, that's your cue, Anya. Let's hear this. All right. Explain the rules. All right. The first four questions are true or false, in which I will say a statement, and you have 10 seconds to answer. Okay. And then the last question is an um, essay question, if this was a standardized test. Okay, okay. <laughs> Jason has just smacked his hand to his forehead in anticipatory tension. Alrighty, guys. True or false? Kurt Cobain was the main inspiration for this Bruce Wayne. True, 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 true. I'll, I know it's right. Okay, okay. I'll, I guess I'll say true too, since Jason's so confident. Oh, but I, okay. I, I got, but I got it first. Okay, okay. Oh, so that's how we're playing it. Okay, Jason got it first. Okay, sorry. <laughs> okay, you can play it that way. <laughs> true. I didn't, I didn't. It's true. It's true. Okay, okay. Matt Reeves uh, thinks that. Kurt Cobain has this great Bruce Wayne quality where he was famous, but he was uncomfortable with it and preferred to live in the shadows. True, true. Was that a question? <laughs> I already got no. it. I already got it. Step back, All Tom. Right. Second question. Matt <laughs> Matt Reeves wanted Robert Pattinson for his role because of his role as Edward Cullen in Twilight. True. False. And that one goes to Jason. Yeah! <laughs> 
This is not going the way I hypothesized it would. Um, he was wanted actually for the movie Good Times, where he plays a bank robber. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Third I I, question. Did I say I was going to say that? No. Oh, did you read the IMDb trivia, Jason? No, no, I can't say <laughs> that. That's why I asked, can I say that I was going to say that? Because it was a guess. All right. Number three. Zoe Kravitz spent a month working at a big cat rescue to research her role as Catwoman. I hope that that's false. I'm going to say false. I'm going to say false, too. You're both correct. (laughs) Okay, four. (laughs) The Bat computer in the movie uses the same computer noises that are used in the Batman Arkham City video games. True? I'll go with that. True. It's true. Okay, that makes some sense because I've, I've I felt that the the movie, and we'll get into this a little bit later. I felt that it had a lot of design aesthetic that was borrowed from the those games, which are great Batman stories, by the way. Super fun. All right, number five, the most difficult question of them all: What are the main storylines that inspired this movie? Ooh, Hint, there are three. There are three. And you can have more than ten seconds for this one. I'm I've already I've already pulled my ripcord. Max has got this one. Okay. Jason's bailed out. His parachute is fluttering in the wind and he's landed somewhere in a demilitarized zone. Um, What three stories? Oh, gosh. The three main inspirations. Okay, I'm just going to take some guesses here. I think that The Long Halloween was one. Batman Year One has to have been one. And then, oh, gosh, maybe Arkham, maybe the Arkham Asylum games. I don't know. That's that's where I'm going to go. It's actually Batman Ego by Darwin Cook. What? Mm-hmm. Okay. Matt, Matt Reeves drew a lot from that storyline because it's a psychological element. Was that, was so, one of those, so did I get any right? Yes, you got Batman Year One and Batman The Long Halloween. So okay. I'll give you half a point. <laughs> okay, okay. Which yes, means um, Jason got four right and you got three and a half right. Huh. <laughs> I'll edit this whole section out. <laughs> No, wow. I, I'm a little shocked that it went that way, but these things happen. At least I, I I got the essay part. I did all right with that. So I feel like I did. That was good. Those are all great Batman stories. So I could see why they did it. Very cool. Very cool. So Jason, I've read the cast. Uh, uh, hold on, let me back up a little bit. It wasn't as bad as you thought it was going to be, was it, Jason? You won, so you're over there gloating. Uh, yeah, I, I'm. I'm. I want to thank the the players, the coaches, and the coaching staff. <laughs> I, I didn't expect it. Uh, this is great. Yeah, I uh, thank you, thank you, thank you to my agent. Uh, yeah, <laughs> nice. I, I feel great. All right. All right, Anya, thanks for that. That was fun. That was better than some of the pop quizzes I hit Jason with, I think. Very organized, very down to earth. So I've done a little bit of the cast and some of the basic notes. Anya's given us a quiz. Jason, what do you have for us in the way of production, if anything? Uh, I mean, I I really don't have a lot. I mean, mean, of course, uh, when talking about this movie, I mean, I guess it's still a question as to whether or not this is part of the DC Cinematic Universe. I kind of don't think that it is. This is kind of the latest in... um, DC and Warner Brothers efforts to take DC characters from that comic universe and and to make films. I mean, I, I am aware that uh, the early the early production of this movie did involve Ben Affleck. Uh, it, it was supposed to be part of the D, uh, what is called the DCEU. I'm I, I don't think that it is. I'm not even sure if the DCEU is still a thing. Question. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that still remains to be seen because DC seems to be going off in in, in several different directions. Um, there's been a lot of rumors that um, I mean, we've recently had Ben Affleck as Batman 
in the uh, Zack Snyder cut of Justice League. There's rumors that Michael Keaton's going to be playing Batman in um, Flash film, mm-hmm. and, and then there's and then there's this film. So I I actually. I have to confess, I'm kind of confused as to just where DC is right now. And in terms of going through all of these different threads, how to make sense of all of this. Yeah, I'm not really sure. This film did go into production long ago. And uh, uh, and it was interrupted by COVID. Of course, it's uh, you know directed by Matt Reeves, who is a fairly established director with a limited filmography. I think it's the best way that I would describe him. He's he done had- some good stuff, though. He's done some good work. He did, he did uh, Let Me In, which I think is the American version of Let the Right One In, which is a which is one of my favorite vampire movies of, in the past ten years. He did some of the Planet of the Apes war films. He did Cloverfield, which is a kind of a wonderful movie. A uh, bit of a sleeper, I think. Let's see here. I didn't mean to step on your toes here. Did you? Was there anything that stood out in his CV that you want to highlight, Jason? Not necessarily. I mean, he's definitely done some films that were high profile. I would still, at this point, categorize him as a young director. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I would say that he's established, but young, because you're quite right. He he has had a, a filmography that is noticeable, but not extensive. No. Yeah. But it's quite good. I mean, you look like you were going to pipe up and say something. I didn't mean to step on your toes. Oh, no, no, it wasn't. I'm just I'm reading the IMDb in case we need some information. Gotcha. gotcha. Well, I mean, as you, I mean, as you said, uh, he was a primary writer as well. So artistically, he was very involved with the making of this film, the thematic elements, the you know, just you know, all of it. So this is definitely a Matt Reeves production, so to speak. Right? I think that I think that's actually quite fair. They have talked a lot about Matt Reeves creating like his own world, like world yes. building for these movies. And to touch on you being confused about the canonical DC movies and whatnot, there is that Flashpoint movie that is coming out, which teases that maybe it'll connect everything, but I don't have high hopes for that. Now, see, it's very interesting that you say that because um, I almost feel like, and and I, I don't want to dwell on this too much, I almost feel like that DC was started, because I, I kind of see what you're saying, Anya, about in terms of what you're anticipating, and I almost feel like that DC started to kind of go in this direction first. Marvel saw what they were doing and did it faster, and now it's going to appear that Marvel that DC is copying Marvel. You know, Marvel did the whole thing with Loki and all these alternate universes, which any excuse me, everyone who has seen the latest Spider-Man movie, I think no no one hasn't seen it. There's just people who have seen it once and people have seen it multiple times. Marvel is now going in this direction of these kind of multiple universes. And I um I think DC is doing the same thing, but I think uh and, and you know I, I don't want to dwell on the kind of business aspect of it, but I kind of feel like that Marvel has kind of done a um a, 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 a thing where they've stolen the idea from DC's Kevin Flynn, you know, to, to do a Tron reference here and, and kind of undercut them. My whole opinion on that was um, the MCU was going great. Marvel was creating like a franchise of movies in an extended universe. And I think that DC really stumbled when it started creating its extended universe because instead of setting up each character like Marvel did, like one movie for each character, they just jammed it all together. And then new actors, like they're throwing out the old movies. And so it's just really complicated and confusing. 
because they were just trying to get where marble was and last time they didn't let it grow organically i i i could not agree with you more and uh and i feel like that what marvel has done because i mean look i mean this podcast is not about marvel but i mean the infinity gauntlet films you know the 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 infinity war and endgame were kind of the the final completion of everything marvel has done and there was kind of this feeling or i mean was kind of this feeling how does marvel top that and Mm -hmm. i feel like that marvel kind of realized that if they if they move quickly they could kind of undercut what dc was doing and kind of create this whole new we're going to take all these old films that we did the good ones the bad ones and we're going to and we're going to incorporate them all and they're and they're all good and they're all better than anything you guys did what do you got and um once again i think that dc is going to be flat-footed i mean that's not a that's not a preview of what this film is going to be about but but that's that's kind of just where I think the the business aspect of it is. I the way things look right now to me, Marvel has um, maneuvered themselves to to get ahead of DC again. Now, audience, you you've quickly keyed into the fact that this is, really isn't a Batman podcast. This is just an excuse for all of us to talk about Marvel. No, but before before I before we move on from this fertile ground, I want to say that I hope that that's wrong, and I hope that it's just sort of a kind of a lucky serendipity because. I think that both of these companies have multiverses. They had them before the MCU and the DCEU became cinematic properties. I have always thought that the multiverse thing was a way for Marvel to figure out after the mergers that have happened with Disney and 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 uh, Fox, uh, figured out a way to bring all of these different properties together. Less of a, let's get out in front of DC because Marvel doesn't need to get out in front of DC. They're already out in front of DC. Yes. DC, I, I agree with everything that you guys said about DC not knowing what to do in terms of how to present all of this material and how they seem to stumble a lot. I mean, do you guys agree with me that DC stumbles a lot in on Definitely. the screen? If it's not Definitely. Batman or it's not Superman, it's stum- and even sometimes when it's Superman and Batman, they stumble. DC is at best really uneven, and I don't know if that's 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 mostly I, I, maybe that's Warner Brothers' fault, maybe that's DC DC's fault, but DC doesn't have. I think we've all talked about this together. Or uh, uh, DC doesn't have its Kevin Feige or who's the person who's running Star Wars now? Catherine Kennedy. Catherine Kennedy and there's another guy too it doesn't have leadership in in the, in the in the overall editorial department like it doesn't it doesn't have somebody saying okay we need to kind of have a unified vision with these films dc doesn't seem to have that that we well, well that we know of yet yeah yeah. Now, Anya and I have said over the years, and maybe you recently said this to me too. I don't know, Jason, but DC needs to hire Bruce Tim, who's the guy who and and their 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 producer. There, there's a there's a woman who's a producer of all the DC animated films, and they seem to understand DC history better than Warner Brothers, right? And for some reason, they seem to get away with a lot of good stuff. And I think Bruce Tim, and I wish I could I wish I could remember that woman's name, but she was an important person on D- Batman the animated series, Superman the animated series justice league yada 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 and they they seem to get dc history and i think that they should be they should be the dc universe's kevin feige i think dc feel free to get back to me on that i'll, I'll try to help you straighten out your your house of cards so we don't have a lot of production notes i guess is what you're saying no i yeah. okay so so that leads us i guess into the film proper this is maybe the darkest oh sorry anya's got some stuff on just i anya raised her hand anya i'm calling on you i don't want to interrupt you you know 
Yeah. Uh, no, to speak to the unevenness of DC, this was the first Batman movie I've looked actually looked forward to seeing hmm. or bothered to go see in theater since uh, The Dark Knight Rises. And okay. um, I was ready to be disappointed. That's sort of, <laughs> but uh, I wasn't. That's sort of Jason and I's uh, approach to horror movies. Ready to be disappointed. That might be our t-shirt for the podcast. Um, Trailer looks great. I hope the movie is better. And it was. I was actually starting, I was a little, uh, I'll ask you this, Jason. uh, Where were you when you started seeing previews and hearing notes in the ether about The Batman starring Robert Pattinson? Well, actually, I was recording an episode of Max and Jason Watch a Movie and you asked me to watch the the trailer. And, And I have to say, the trailer definitely captures the 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 kind of um atmosphere of the film so if i remember right the the trailer uses the nirvana song oh it does doesn't it yeah it does and um i think it was a good trailer it it, it disguised a lot which is a good thing yeah which trailers don't really do anymore but i mean um uh it it, uh, it it captured i think the aesthetic of the movie very well yes yes uh no i think it did too I, I think the second long trailer where we get to see the batmobile do some stuff and we get to see some dynamic movement of the Batmobile in the trailer. That was when I started to get excited about the film because that car cooks. I'm sorry, the design the design of that car is pretty nice. It made me think of like muscle cars that, that like live in my in in my in the dreamscape of my brain sometimes, you know, like it's a dreamscape muscle car, you know. Uh, I dug it. Jason, do you know anything about this car? Jason knows a little bit more about cars. He's a little more into cars than I am, I think. Oh, I I um I actually didn't didn't know. I mean, actually, so it's very interesting. I didn't see the long trailer okay so when the batmobile first shows up in the movie that was uh that was kind of a neat a neat revelation for me it kind of was a total surprise for me so gotcha gotcha oh i've got some notes about the batmobile here oh uh, well it this batmobile in this movie drew influence from the 1966 series where which i thought which i thought immediately i was like um not um not necessarily in the concept but in the in the body style of like the the rear lights yeah, yeah. Um, and also it's a it's like a car that he modified himself and then it was also influenced by the 1970s uh, Neil Adam Batmobile which was like not like a crazy looking like oh that's Batman's car but like definitely like a (laughs) that's a cool car you know yeah and it's not obnoxious in the way uh Frank Miller's Batmobile was in the Dark Knight Returns Uh, yeah not uh now I love everybody I I uh I I love the 1988 uh, Tim Burton Batman Batmobile in that film i think it's a great design but i uh it is certainly not stealthy or inconspicuous i don't know here's batman i wonder whose car that is um so no but that's a that's a that's a really wonderful revelation when that car pops up gosh Ani, you've seen this more than us shall i lead us into this you shall lead us into the film what happens what how, how does the film open well at first <laughs> At first you think this is, it opens with a shot of a kid in a mansion and you think this is a different way that we're going to see Bruce lose his parents. Right. And also it's, you hear someone breathing really loud, mouth breathing, and you see the kid through binoculars through a window and he's dressed up as a ninja. And you're like, is that a kid or is that a ninja? And then so then we don't know yet. It's a man. It's a looking ninja is what I thought. Go ahead. <laughs> and then 
we realize that it's the mayor's kid and it's Halloween. And you see the kid play with his dad. The dad pretends to fall dead. And then the kid and the mom leave and you still hear it. And it's all seen through some binoculars. And then the binoculars pan up to a skylight in the top of the, the penthouse. And then we cut to the scene where the mayor is watching his own debate on TV. And- Actually, always a mistake. I'm going to say I'm going to say any candidates that you guys will go on to advise. Don't let them watch their own debates. No, because he's unhappy about it. And he's saying some suspicious things like talking about money payments. And he hangs up the phone, super angry, and he's walking around. And <laughs> this is when my friend Jill was like, there's Batman. But it wasn't Batman in the background. It was the Riddler. I thought for a second, I thought that too, because I had this sense. Uh, I don't mean to interrupt you, but like I had this sense, okay, this is Batman. This is early Batman. Maybe this is him and his new. So for a, a brief second, I kind of thought that that's what they were doing. I wasn't happy about it. I yes. was very pleased that it was not Batman. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I actually I didn't notice I didn't notice the guy in the background the first time. I didn't either. Not in the first yeah. moment. Not in the first moment. I agree with you. Yeah, and then Riddler's got this piece of metal that we'll find out about later, and he whacks the mayor a couple times. Very scary. Not what you're expecting in the first three minutes. No. And then and more, and more to come. More to come. I I was shook. Let me just say that. Well, we, uh, also, then, audience, I want to pause here because we don't know that it's the Riddler yet. We don't know that. I mean, if we watch the trailer we probably we suspect that the riddler's involved but i i wasn't sure that this was the riddler yet but go ahead all right can, then, can, can we pause for a second on you before you go on because i i just want to do my because i i always notice the music so i just want to do that i i actually want to talk about how uh we have the batman appears on the screen and there's kind of this kind of like almost whimsical piece cue that comes up and then we cut right to ave maria mm-hmm. yes, goes over the scene that, you, that anya you were talking about yeah. which which we'll learn about later as to why that musical cue is important. But um, just real quick, I did want to say that my first my first emotional impression when the movie started was, wow, this feels like a Stanley Kubrick movie in terms of the music. I, I really felt like, uh, I, I, Anya, what you just described, I found it arresting uh, very, mm-hmm. but for the music as well. Like I, um, and, and as we go on, I'll just say right now, I love, I love the music. Okay, okay. Wow. I, I, do also. I love the music in this movie i found the opening shots arrest go ahead oh you're right we're we're seeing this guy he's beating the mayor he's straddling the mayor in this terrifying mask and he pulls out a roll of duct tape and he starts duct taping the guy's face and i was like oh my god this is terrible and then I mean, I don't know if you guys want to stop and talk about that scene or you want to. Well, I I guess one thing I want to say here is that this film earns every piece of its rating, which I think is R. No, PG-13. PG-13? I I took my kids to see it. Okay. I did not take my kids to see it because I'm a better parent audience. No, I'm my kids. A lot worse shit than this. Um, because your first kid told you not to take your second kid to go see them. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So I left Finn at home on this one. But I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. Just watching it, I thought it was an R-rated film. I guess I didn't realize it was PG-13. But PG-13. It would have earned an R rating, I think, you know, five years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is the most mild of the violent attacks that our villain perpetrates on people. Now, to the film's credit, it's so well done that it seems 
seems more violent than what is depicted on screen because we don't see a lesser film might have like taken us to like the gore. Mm -hmm. We don't see, I mean, the, the mayor is beaten to death in this scene and we don't see what's happened to the mayor because his face is all taped up when we finally do see him. And then there's some other attacks where the, where the violence is, it's all laid out what's going to happen, but we don't see it happen. Right. Whereas a lesser film would have maybe a lesser film, but uh, a film that took an easier route would have just shown us. And you know what I mean? We would have seen the gore, but this film doesn't do that. So I think it's sort of, it's sort of better in some ways because the horror of what's happening a lot is taking place in the viewer's head. And I, mm-hmm. I think that that's really effective. Also just the soundscape was very like, yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. And then we, the, the next scene is we're seeing Gotham from like an overhead angle and the streets are crowded. <laughs> cannot speak streets are crowded everyone's in costume and then we hear bruce wayne's what is it called voiceover <laughs> voiceover <laughs> we hear his voiceover which reminded me a lot of um some frank miller stuff or the original cut of blade runner yeah yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah this is where bruce wayne tells us he's been doing this for two years and um you see the light in the sky and that he's become a creature of the night and that the light in the sky strikes terror and into people and you see people committing crimes and they see the light and they they turn around and they think he might be in the shadows behind them and that's a really and, great and, and yeah unlike blade runner it's really effective here <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah because because harrison ford didn't even want to do all of that but i mean <laughs> yeah this is really effective and you know it's something that, that we critique um the timber of someone's voice mm-hmm. timber of his voice is absolutely perfect for what they're doing yes mm-hmm. voiceover and, and so this is interesting this is very interesting because okay we're going to introduce a new batman before we even see him we hear him mm-hmm. i i think that his vocal performance goes a long way in selling what in, in prepping us for uh, tilling the ground so to speak yeah right to to, pre- to prepare for a new bruce wayne a new batman yeah i was kind of surprised when that's how it started i was like what's going on and then as it just kept going i was like okay this this makes sense this works yeah um, yes yeah. it definitely works and and this was a dangerous thing i think because this could have fallen flat and if this falls flat then a lot of the rest of the film isn't going to work as well his voice is definitely different it avoids some of the trap uh not that this was a bad thing in the chris nolan films but later on there was a bit of a knock on the batman voice that christian bale would do horrible batman you know he would and, and it became something that was easy to parody right and yeah. even though it was never that bad in any of the films it was something that was very saturday night liveable uh well, told because it was a great idea uh, for brief scenes. Yes. One came in the two sequels when he started having extended conversations with people. In Batman Begins, the first film, it, you know, Batman usually just has these brief exchanges with people and it's totally appropriate. But then suddenly when he's having exchanges with people who know, like in, in, in the third film, yep. Catwoman knows that Bruce Wayne is Batman. There's nobody else around. He's still using the voice. It becomes kind of silly. Yeah. But but it was a great idea that then kind of ran into a brick wall. Yeah. Whereas I, I, I think what, and I'll just say this now, that Robert Pattinson is able to land this without, without making it seem like that it's an affected voice. Yes. Well, and, and the other thing I want to say for this film 
and this does it in a way that I don't think, and I, I want to say there were hints of this, how scary the Batman is to the criminal element of Gotham. There are hints of this in the Batman versus Superman film, where we can see sort of how scary the Batman, we, we get a sense that everybody's a little scared of him. This film lands that in in this opening kind of world building way that Anya's just talking about the voiceover and how, this, how the city, how the bad elements of Gotham are actually scared of the shadows because of the Batman. And I thought that this film goes a long way towards selling that in a way that I don't know that any of the other Batman films heretofore have done. Would you guys agree with that? Is this the scary? Is Does this film do better at making Batman seem scary than other films have done? I think so. Uh, in the way it's shot, the color scheme, the, the soundscape, like I was saying, the, the music... And they don't show him being scary through violence. They show him being scary through the reactions of the people in but Gotham. I'll push back on that a little bit because right after this scene, we do see Batman interact with a gang and he, nego- yeah. he negotiates the freedom of a person they are about to uh, to beat up. And mm-hmm. I I get the I would be scared if I was a if I was a person like these criminals because Batman does doesn't dispatch the first guy that attacks him. He destroys that guy. That guy's going to be eating through a straw for the next six months to a year wait um oh sorry action figure fell down <laughs> well so can i so to get to that scene yep, go ahead. We're, we're still seeing the light in the sky the criminal element is reacting and then we're on a subway and we're getting shots in the subway car with this like gang of young kids um who are all dressed up for halloween and then we're getting shots in the next car and there's one person in the next car and it's all dark and then you're seeing shots in red of bruce wayne putting on the eye makeup and like which i didn't catch the first time oh (laughs) and then this guy in the train is like these are a bunch of hooligans i'm gonna get off the train and then the hooligans are like let's go follow that guy and beat him up they're doing that they're there's this kid in in the gang you might say who clearly has just fallen in with the wrong crowd and they're like punch him knock him out and then we hear steps coming from behind the steps which which i need to say something about i read on our trusty imdb that every time he was introduced in a scene with the steps it was to the cadence of the batman theme more on that later yeah yeah uh, each... wait, wait which batman theme you mean the, the for this film or the yeah yeah the dumb something something more on that later yeah 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 it would have been a lot quicker if it had been no 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 that would have been a lot less scary too but then he starts beating up the guys and the guy's like, who the hell are you? And then he beats them up and he says, I'm vengeance. Yeah. And that was actually Robert Pattinson's idea. It was improvised. And his reasoning for that was he said, I wanted to say it as the guy is losing consciousness. So it goes into his dreams. And he says, I really wanted his future to be really, really damaged. <laughs> The guy who was beating up? Yeah, yeah, which I guess it was Robert Pattinson's idea, but I could see Bruce Wayne having that same, like, thinking. Well, well I know in the Frank Miller comic books, uh, and maybe in others, Bruce Wayne very consciously thinks about how he uses, how he how he tries to instill fear into his, into the criminal element. But I thought this was a really, uh, I mean, guys, this is, this film could have been made in the same era when Death Wish and Dirty Harry was made, because this film strikes me, Gotham is 1970 
seventies, late sixties, New York city. I mean, that's, that's the, that's the, it's the burned out criminal war zone uh, <laughs> of that era. Uh, I, I think that this also is the scariest Gotham I think we've seen on screen before. Would you agree with that? I think so. I thought it was the, because as someone who's been to Chicago, you can kind of just be like, well, that's Chicago in the Nolan films. And it's so, the way it's lighted is so much different than the way the city is, is lighted. And it just feels like the most comic accurate, grungy, like dingy city. I think that's fair. I, I didn't, I mean, I just, I don't know where it was shot, but it seemed like its own place. It didn't seem like you said, like you and I, I mean, you grew up, we, we kind of lived in the Chicago area for quite a while. And so when I would watch the Christopher Nolan films, I was always constantly being reminded of, oh, I've been down there. <laughs> you know, I, I, uh, Jason, you, you, you. Well, look well, at- no, I mean, so, so to me, this is New York City. I mean, we see like Times Square. We see like, I mean, it's, it seems like, I don't know if that's where it was shot, but that's what it's kind of intended to be. I, I is it this, is it the most dangerous one? I kind of think um, 1997's Batman and Robin, where everything <laughs> in the day glow, you know, I think that's scarier. No, not really. I'm kidding. So this scene does a great job of giving us a, a a vision of a Gotham where every time you go out, you are in danger. Like it's it's rolling the dice. And this scene specifically, for the reasons that you guys have stated, is um, is very very effective. From the from the footsteps uh, to and, and and actually you you have this gang and it's not stated, but you have this young guy whose whose face is only half painted, and you get the sense this is an initiation right and. And, uh, and I kind of got the sense that, that the goal was to throw him onto the tracks, which is something that has been reported happening in New York City recently. Okay. So, which makes it kind of timely. Yeah, I, I, I found it very effective. It was a great introduction to Batman as seeing him come in and take on everybody and, you know, I'm vengeance and all this kind of thing. But Max, to answer your question, I'm not sure I agree. Okay. I'm not sure I agree. I actually think that if you go back to Batman Begins to another subway scene when Rachel Dawes is on the subway and there's just one guy, but she's by herself, she has a taser and she's desperate to get off the train. And uh, from the minute she gets off she, the minute she gets off the subway as the viewer we feel her fear because i mean she doesn't know what the, you get the sense this is what she goes through every night oh my god you know there's these weird people on the train i just want to get off the train and the guy that they end up going after he doesn't need i mean he kind of reacts to them as okay these guys are crazy but he doesn't seem to be really worried until he notices that they're walking after him i felt more fear in um in the scene when when rachel's because she's fired well what I'm saying, though, I, I don't know that that's necessarily wrong, but what I'm saying is in creating a, an atmosphere that Gotham, like, you get the sense that Gotham in the Nolan films is a place where the social contact contract is pretty much broken down, but but this one, it seems like the way they shoot everything and the way they show so many different crimes happening at once, it does remind me of the way the reportage on New York in the 70s was. You know, it's this place that's kind of I mean, I actually just, I think, I think I'm I hope I'm, I'm, I can speak for her. She and I were just listening to another podcast that was reviewing a series about some craziness that was happening in New York in the 70s. And it was uh, this place where even the police brochures for visitors were like, don't go out at night, you know, go up to places in groups, don't use public transportation. Good luck was how the, yeah. you know, 
And that's that's sort of what what uh, what this New York reminded me of is a place that you don't really want to visit. There were some elements of because I maybe and maybe and, and maybe this is because I did live in Chicago for a while. Batman Begins always reminded me of Chicago, and because of that, I knew there were places where you could go in Chicago and where things were okay. Whereas. I- Whereas Gotham seems like there's really no place. The safest place to be in Gotham is in Gotham's version of New Jersey. <laughs> but see, I think that's the thing that I appreciated about Batman Begins. There was the part of the city that everyone just kind of accepted. Oh, everything's fine. Yeah. But there's this other part of the city that, no one, that everyone ignores. And that felt more real to me. Okay. So now when, when I'm saying all of that, I'm not criticizing what you guys are saying. I actually thought this scene was amazing. Yeah. I, I adored this scene. This is one of the better scenes in the whole movie. But your question was, yes, yes. Did this capture the fear as accurately as other Batman films? And my answer is no. Okay. Okay. I actually think that Batman begins, um, you know, uh, specifically the scene when Rachel is in the, and then she's rescued by Batman. Yeah. And you just get this sense, my God, if he had not been, there uh because no one else is around no one else is around and there's just there's just one guy but yeah. but, but there's this sense of isolation so i guess i'm talking about my own emotions yeah no that's fair but 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 <laughs> But there was this kind of sense of there's no one else around, there's no one to hear you scream, and uh, and in this sense, you know, there's this whole gang. I I loved the scene. I I felt that it was an amazing introduction. I I, I loved him. You know, the introduction of Batman, how it was it was kind of rolled out in a very kind of slow way. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, the scene that I just referred to with Rachel, we see Batman kind of almost in a you know in, in a quick cut. This was a very slow kind of thing where he comes out. It's not cliched. It's not something that we've actually seen before because we've seen we've seen all these other batman movies yeah we haven't none of the three of us have said that yet that matt is 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 um working with a stacked deck there there are good batman movies and there are bad batman movies and television shows but there are there's a lot of things that have been done with this character and he's got to do things that you know even if we've seen before it's got to be cast in a way that we we will embrace it this scene is that this scene works in that way i mean it's uh um, you know the the I am vengeance, which I mean, Anya, you said that he he ad libbed, but um, which was a was brilliant because it becomes thematic. Yeah, in the film. I I think this is an incredible opening action scene to introduce the man. Yeah, I I, I loved this scene as much as you guys. I I just don't think that you I, don't agree with my my question. You don't agree with the premise of my question. It, it, well, it sounds like both of you would say that this is this is kind of a grounding foundational moment for Batman that we've not seen before, and I see what you're saying because actually in many ways there are things in this scene that we have not seen before but emotionally i think is what i'm saying is that for me this scene is not for me what it was for you for you both. i mean you were giving me something I, I, i'll let you have the last word on this subject which hopefully agrees with me but go on <laughs> Well, the fear element that you're talking about, Jason, while it's not from the perspective of like a woman alone, I'm kind of really sympathizing with this young kid who is so terrified. Like the entire time his his eyes are tearing up. Like first he doesn't want to be the bad guy, but it's like this metaphor for like the youth of Gotham almost. Like yeah. you are you don't have a lot of options unless you're rich and you're gonna end up in a bad situation. And it's like clearly this kid doesn't want to 
be there. And then this fucking monster comes out of the shadows and beats up all of his associates. And he's like, he doesn't know what's going on. He was going to do something bad. And then like karma comes back and puts all of his friends in the hospital. And you got the sense he didn't want to do it. And so, no, yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I think where you were going, like I felt, and I wasn't sure, but I felt like that when he runs away, he stops and looks at Batman and he's very conflicted. He doesn't know if he should be afraid of him or if he should be inspired by him. Yeah. That's how I read that. I think a little bit of both um, because also he, he's, um, stops the guy that he's with from shooting Batman. He, yep. he hits the guy. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Yep. But, um, um, and this begins the kinds of existential journey that Batman's on and this Bruce Wayne is on because we get the first inkling in this voiceover, VO, as they say in the profession, that he doesn't know if he's making a difference. You know, I mean, is says, what he's doing worth, you know, doing? He seems like he's in a crisis. He's having a long night, the, the long night of, uh, what is it? What's the... What's the what's the metaphor or the the cliche about the doubting you know your your, your crisis of faith the long night but dark night of the soul dark night of the soul Jason saved me there actually he didn't he let me dark night the dark there for a little bit did you that's even a pun dark night of the soul oh good job Jason and and me for setting it up obviously obviously intentionally uh, yeah, totally intentionally but you get an, you get an assist. <laughs> For my stats. Now, this leads us, this does lead us shortly in, and Anya, you can correct me because you've seen the movie once more than me and Jason, Jason and I. This leads to one of my favorite elements of the film, which is the crime scene at the mayor's. And we finally, in a deep way, in a big way, get the detective. We've seen the ninja. We've seen the warrior. We've seen the, we've, we've seen the superhero. Now we finally get the world's greatest consulting detective. Um, we, go ahead. We, realize that the reason the bat signal is in the sky is because Gordon is calling Batman to the murder scene of the mayor. Yes. And then we get, I don't know if it's the theme song or the Nirvana song again, but Batman is walking into where we just were with the murderer. I think it must be the the bat theme because we get the steps too here. We get his steps, right? Well, so, you know, I'll just say this now. I, um, it took me half the movie and, you know, look, I'm not a musician, folks, anybody that's, but the Batman theme for this movie which is amazing and actually it should be foundational for Batman music from here on out but I think the motive of it comes from um, something in the way by Nirvana oh does it okay it took me half the movie to hear it but I, I think so okay yeah. okay which is, which is the Nirvana song that they play yeah and yeah. since Cobain sort of seems like the uh, an inspiration for the Bat character yes that would make a lot of sense actually uh, mm-hmm. I you were saying oh yeah we, we see the reaction action from the police force to this guy dressed like a bat who is given a lot of respect by someone that all these cops respect which is Jim Gordon Jim Gordon is leading uh, the masked vigilante into the murder scene and we see what has happened to the mayor he's been taped up his thumb is missing Um, there's a message written on his taped up face that says no more lies and then um, the current commissioner comes in and is like why is this guy here and Jim Gordon is like is the murderer of wrote him a note yeah and he showed, shows the first of the many postcards from riddle from riddler to the batman and where we get the first riddle um what does a liar do when he's dead and the answer is he lies still yeah. and then we get all this detective stuff well well one of the things i like about this is the way 
like Gordon has brought Batman there to consult and Batman seems content to consult, but he also seems to play things sort of close to the vest. Like he spots things in the room that other people don't spot, but I mean, he'll, he'll, and sometimes he even like uh, looks at things sort of not as if he's sort of casting judgment on the observational skills of the police, but you know, just, I love the way he moves through the room observing and the film takes time. The film takes time to give us that. And I was just like, I hope we get more of this than just this scene because even way back in the Tim Burton Batman, the first Batman, um, we get some of the detective very shallowly, and we don't see enough of it. I'm like when Batman figures out the the, chemi- the chemistry of the of the poison that the Riddler's taking out a whole new door. Not the Riddler, the Joker. But this, we seem to see a guy who's working through clues and and kind of actively helping the police. At least Jim Gordon. The the closest we have come to this, and I hate to say this, oh, I I hate Superman versus Batman, but. Uh, um, we see a little bit of this in that movie. Yep. We see a little bit of detective work uh, by Ben Affleck's Batman in that movie, which I, I very much appreciate. There's lots of things I like about that movie. In the On the whole, I don't like it. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of things I like about it, and that's one of the things I do. And in this movie, we get plenty of that. This scene is very emblematic of that, and it, it, it was a pleasure to see. I, I mean, from start to finish, because you start with you know, Gordon meeting him and like, you know, come on in, and then the cops like, well, who, why are we letting this vigil Lanny and oh, he's with me. And like, there are several scenes in this movie that if this wasn't a movie and you just shot these little vignettes and kind of release them as, you know, I'd like to make a Batman movie and I'd like to put this scene in it. And you showed it to somebody and they'd be like, shit, this is exactly the Batman movie we want to make. This is one of those scenes. Absolutely. And I I don't, I want to say that the mystery at the heart of the film, and there's actually a couple of mysterious elements. It's all so cleverly done. I, I thought the, 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 the sadism of the Riddler's riddles is really elegant. It sort of reminded me, and it's only now just reminding me of it because I'm thinking about the way people are moving through the crime scene. It reminds me a little bit of Seven sometimes and how clever the killer is. Is that um, right? Or am I right? Oh, not only is it right, but you just prefigured something that uh, I'll, I, I'll say later. Okay, okay, yeah. Uh, um, so, are you talking re- about the moment late in the film when Batman's like mourning over Gwyneth Paltrow's head? Is that the... <laughs> I'm sorry. Have you seen no. Seven? I hope I didn't spoil that. I haven't seen Seven. Oh, what? forget what I've said then. Oh, God. Now uh, I know what happens. Oh, Max, that is the greatest sin that anyone has ever committed. That's in- like when my English professor ruined the sixth yeah, sense for me. Ruined what? Yeah, the but, sixth sense. but Anya, the sixth sense you would have figured out. You would have. Oh, my God. You would have figured that out. Seven was a special treat. Sorry. Now Sorry. it's Why? gone. <laughs> I thought you would have seen it by now. You like that director. Who's the director? David Fincher. David Fincher. I like him. I thought you did. I don't Everyone know. Likes David Fincher. It's a, it was his first masterpiece. You're making all kinds of mistakes right now. Oh, I'm going to get a drink. I'm going to go fill up my drink. I'm going to take a pause and reset myself. Have an edible something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'll be right back, guys. Uh, Anya, you love David Fincher. You just don't know. He did uh, so What so, did he do? Dave. Um, Fight Club. Oh, okay. I do like I do like Fight Club. Panic Panic Room. With uh, Stewart. Yep. 
the like game that. michael douglas i haven't seen that you, i mean that's a lower a lesser known one but you should see it it's really good in his, lately he's been doing less movies like that uh he directed um zodiac okay and, I like that movie. and the social network i haven't seen the social network but i've heard nothing but good things about it uh, you you should i actually the first time i watched it because i heard that it was one of the greatest movies ever made or uh, mm-hmm. movie of the decade i watched it and i decided it wasn't but i find myself watching scenes from it on youtube i'm like you know maybe it is good <laughs> um yeah no david david fincher when i saw seven i thought this guy's the next best uh the, the next great director now he's not my favorite director uh, since that time um but i i don't think i was wrong like uh he he's not made any stinkers he, he's a great director the only in fact the only bad movie he made was the movie he made before seven which was alien three well yeah I thought you and I had come to the conclusion that it wasn't a bad movie. It's just not, it's not what we would have wanted in an Alien franchise. Yeah, yeah, it's mediocre because actually the problem with Alien 3, the first time I watched it, I actually enjoyed it. Problem is, is once you've seen the ending, the rest of it becomes tedious. Yes. And the parts of it that are not tedious piss you off because there's actually really good character development that is then wasted. And it's a problematic movie. Yeah. And and I get around thinking about it by remembering that there's aliens and alien and then that's it. That's the only two movies in the franchise. Yeah, true. So the detective, we finally got the detective and we get some of that Batman year one tension and the, with the cops when there's always this often off on again, off again tension with uh, the police and the bat verse. The other thing I want to talk about and I want to kind of. Frank Miller is sometimes prescient in the way he uh, looked at pop culture and his understanding of how both good and at times toxic media is, is in this film. Ever since Frank Miller, and I I don't see this in other movies so much, there's always news in in the films. We always see how how news people are reacting to Batman. And we always see, and there's always some kind of political figures in Batman too. I've I've made some joke. Jason's laughing pretty hard here. I don't know what's... um, But but I I like that they... that, that a lot of Batman films, and this one too, have sort of drawn that that thread from the comics of news media reacting and reporting on Batman. Mm-hmm. So, um, well, but um, this reminds me actually, uh, and actually this is a late appreciation of mine. I always loved RoboCop as an action movie. And I have to confess, it was probably viewing 10, 12, 10 or 12 that I finally realized that Paul Verhoeven was actually making a statement about, about violence, about how, how media glorifies violence. And it, and it probably... I had to watch uh, Starship Troopers, which I hated the first time I saw it. And now I love it because I finally saw what Verhoeven was trying to do. And I think that's what you're kind of getting at here. Yeah. Is that, that because, I mean, one of the things... I mean, we'll just kind of say this now, I guess, because this will this will happen again and again and again and again in this movie, is that every murder that happens in this movie is broadcast on top. And we must warn viewers, what you are going to see will be disturbing. It was just so hilarious to me how they didn't edit anything. Like, so it was almost like, we're going to play you the, the, the message that was left. And we have to admit that the following message, which we will play in its entirety, might be disturbing. Yes. <laughs> like the whole fucking thing. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's, um, yeah. Like, like if you commit a murder and you, and, and you document it, Gotham news will broadcast it for you. Absolutely. And, and so, the, so, so it's drawing very neatly from that, from that tendency of maybe media, but also just the way that the comic book has dealt with media. Anya, were you going to say something? 
Um, I don't think so. Okay. But so we, we, the other thing that is going on here is that like, we're getting this picture from this riddle, from the murder of the mayor, uh, Gordon and Batman immediately are put on the trail of sort of a very massive web of corruption that is in Gotham. And this is sort of in line with, I get the sense that this movie maybe takes place after something like Batman year one and Batman is Bruce Wayne is sort of getting a, a feel for where the problems are in Gotham. He's not there yet. Cause he's still new to it. He's got a friend in Gordon, but they're now put on the trail of a massive web of corruption that goes from the mayor, maybe dare I say it to the commissioner. It goes oh, everywhere. You dare, you dare say it. I dare say it. And this is also some elements from Batman year one and the long Halloween, but it's, I, I, I say, I bring those two stories up, but I, I want to say that everything that this film does as a Batman story seems fairly original to me, even though we're kind of trotting on some ground that's been trod elsewhere. I felt that this, this was really fresh, especially the close relationship of, of Batman working with Watson. I mean, I mean, Jim Gordon. Uh, and so, and, and audience, maybe it's because I, I think Jeffrey Wright should do everything that I'm just like so jazzed by this relationship, but I like seeing Gordon do things other than be like, Oh, there's Batman. Oh, get Batman. He's actually out there doing some stuff. And we got a little of that with the Gary Oldman Gordon, who I loved by the way, audience, uh, the Gary Oldman, uh, Gordon is very good. And so that sends us on the trail. We get some Batman working out riddles. He finds a giant cipher. Go ahead. Well, yeah, he, the Riddler left a cipher. Um, he gets kicked out by the commissioner. We get the press conference of the commissioner saying the mayor was murdered. And then we get Bruce Wayne during the day on his motorcycle. And this is when the first um, playing of Something in the Way by Nirvana starts. Gotcha. And then he drives to the uh, Batcave, I guess you could say. Wayne Manor in this movie has been situated kind of in the middle of the city instead of like outside the city. Yep. Yep. Um, and then this is where we first meet Alfred. Um, we see that Bruce Wayne has been recording this whole thing. And Alfred is like, seems to like puzzles and ciphers. So he takes it into his own hands to try and solve it. And then they solve it together. And the, the clue they get is the word drive, which brings them to the mayor's garage where they find the mayor's missing thumb, which is attached to a thumb drive. Yeah which is in his car. Well, then he joke there, yeah. Because that was Gordon, right? Yeah, he's, him and Gordon have some very funny um, back and forth there. Yeah. Um, One of the other things I kind of like about this, and this is sort of a thing that I really appreciate, and I got the sense, and I'll see if I'm wrong again. Jason might tell me that I'm wrong again. Batman says a lot of things that I think he finds amusing sometimes to say, just for his own, doesn't really matter if anybody else thinks what he's saying is funny. He sometimes amuses himself a little bit with some of the things that he says. He's, he's very laconic. And, and I kind of like that. He's in his own head a lot, I think, which I think which I think fits. Did, did you guys get that sense? Thumb drive, you know. See, what you just said, I didn't get that sense, but I agree with it. Mm. One of the things that 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 um, that ha has been conveyed to me is that that Robert Pattinson, and I think this was a brilliant move on his part, because I mean, this might be a good a good place to talk about Robert Pattinson's performance as Batman. I um I went into this movie very skeptical about him as Batman. I thought 
thought he was spectacular as Batman. And my my gut reaction was that he was mediocre as Bruce Wayne. But I have discovered that that was his intention. He wanted to play the character as being somebody who was not comfortable being Bruce Wayne. He's only comfortable being Batman. And I give this movie a lot of credit that he spends more of the movie in the in the cowl than he does as Bruce Wayne. Uh, and it's not because he's a bad actor. It, it's part of the performance that, that that Bruce Wayne, you know, he's supposed to be a playboy, but it's very clear that he doesn't want to be that. He has no intention of pretending to be that, whereas Christian Bale did. Okay, yeah, okay, I've got to do this. I'm going to put on the show. That's not what this Batman is. He, he is, he does not want to be who he is. He wants to be Batman. And the movie allows him to do that. I love the fact that we get, we only get like two or three Bruce Wayne scenes. Like, I love the fact that yep. we get Batman, 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 and yep. that Bruce Wayne, and when he is Bruce Wayne, he's deeply uncomfortable and does not fit in. And I like that we are getting, we're getting the new Batman, like the beginning of Batman, but we're also getting the beginning of Bruce Wayne because he hasn't discovered yet that he can help Gotham in two ways. And that in order to help Gotham, he has to put on the real mask of Bruce Wayne, the playboy. And, and so that, that brings me to the thing I want to ask you guys really quickly. And it takes us a little off, off, off our course. Michael Keaton is definitely returning to the role. I, I've seen the trailer for The Flash. That's his voice. We even see a little snippet and it's clearly Michael Keaton. This is the early Batman. The Tim Burton, I'm going to say the Tim Burton Bruce Wayne does seem like a natural end point to Robert, Patton, Robert, Robert Pattinson's Bruce Wayne, does it? Like he's the guy who's pretending to be a playboy, but he's still not great at it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. The Michael, Ke the Michael Keaton is almost an absent-minded playboy in the first Tim Burton film, right? He he doesn't quite know where everything in the house is. He's He does it, and he does it convincingly enough, you know, that people are like, oh, that Bruce Wayne, I think he's on the spectrum somewhere. <laughs> You know, and so I wonder if this is unintentional, but I think it it, it sort of works if we're going to bring back Michael Keaton later in the in the series. I think that they they form kind of natural in like uh, they they form a kind of natural connection. Maybe what, did you, does that make sense to you guys? Could that work? It's not a connection. I, don't want I, I like that connection. I I, I, I don't want them to do that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you don't want them to do that. No, I like I like this Batman as a separate separate no, no, Batman. No. Okay, okay, I can see that, but you could okay, that's fair. I'll I'll leave it there. I won't no, but, it. no, I mean actually, I mean I can defend both of you, Anya. I see what you're saying, but I think that um, what Max is saying does not have to, it does not have to literally lead to Michael Keaton. Yeah, like Robert Pattinson's Batman could get to a Michael Keaton-esque kind of character, which okay, be, which so, might be an acting challenge, a challenge for Robert Pattinson. But I think that he would be up to it because my my understanding understanding is is that Pattinson really because I mean let's say this right now I, I realize that actors don't always get to make these decisions but from from um from Toby Maguire to Robert Downey Jr. when you have a superhero who has to wear a mask they always find excuses to flip up the mask and I get the impression that Robert Pattinson did not want to do that I mean forget forget what the director wanted forget that what I'm saying is is that Robert that Robert Pattinson specifically played the character believing that when the mask is off he's on 
uncomfortable. When the mask is on, that's when I'm doing my acting because that's what the character believes that he is. And that's really awesome that he understood that. Yeah. And I it enhances his performance. Um, visually, I mean, so we haven't talked about this yet. Visually, he looks great in, 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 in the costume. His voice is great. He is an unbelievable Batman. I do believe, I, I do, I would say that he is an unorthodox Bruce Wayne. But on the, uh, in the terms that he played Bruce Wayne, it succeeds. He's not by a long shot my favorite, but I appreciate what he was trying to do. And I think that he landed it. I, I think I agree with that, but what I'm—I want to go back to what I'm saying is I don't want—I uh, don't want to take us from Pattinson to Tim Burton's Bruce Wayne. I mostly want to incorporate that Bruce Wayne persona into the Pattonverse, like of the Batman film. So, like, if we're going to say that Michael Keaton is the endpoint of this character, it's in the Pattonverse and not in the Burtonverse, is what okay. I'm saying. Is I, I like that Bruce Wayne is never comfortable being Bruce Wayne. Like he's only the real Bruce Wayne, quote unquote, around Alfred. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, it, I think all the films, including Max, we talked about this in Batman Returns. Mm-hmm. Wonderful scene between Michael Keaton and Michelle Pfeiffer mm-hmm. at the mask ball. And, and they're dancing together and they're not wearing masks. And you and I kind of realized, oh, my God, they're actually masked because that's not who either one of them are. And this film. And that's a terrible movie. But so all the movies have kind of leaned into that. Yeah. Now Pattinson embraces it, I think is what I'm trying to say. I know. I think that's right. I mean, did you, I'll, I'll give you the last word on this unless it's wrong. No, I'm just... I'm just nodding along. I would say though that um, in the I do agree. Yeah, in the in the Nolan verse, he that Bruce Wayne does not see that Bruce Wayne is the mask, and I don't think he believes it at first when people tell him because other people see it first. Yes, because he thinks he can have it all, and his his girly friend says, "No, that's not you." Yeah. Yeah. And this 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 Batman seems to understand that a little bit more. Which yeah. I have to say the Michael Keaton Batman understood it too. Anyway, Anya, I think you're right. And Jason, I think you're right. And on to the next scene. Um on to the next scene. What happens next? You know, I don't. Probably involves opening a Hallmark card. No, we we get the thumb drive. <laughs> Gordon opens the thumb drive with the thumb and we see all these pictures of the mayor and this mysterious woman and in the background is Oswald Cobblepot and um, Batman comes to the conclusion that the Riddler is saying that the mayor is lying about this girl and so he's like, I gotta go to the Iceberg Lounge, which is where we meet the Penguin for the first time. He, We meet these characters, the twins, which are recurring character and kind of a comedy beat in this film. Yeah. And he has like a, a very awesome fight scene in, in a club with the red lighting and yeah. the strobe lights and just like the pure anger and physicality of it all. And then Oswald Cobblepot shows up and he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa there, sweetheart. And then they go and they have their, their chat and he's trying to figure out who this girl is and Cobblepot is denying that he knows the girl and denying that he realizes that the mayor and then we get in walks in walks catwoman nope in um, walks selena kyle right 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 and she has a catwoman well yes yeah. I, know, I know but batman doesn't know that yet but but she's wearing some boots right that that, that we're wearing see. some boots that are i think the girl in the picture is wearing yep. And immediately, uh, Bruce Wayne is in love with this girl. And but he also <laughs> sees he's got 
there's immediate chemistry between the two, but he also sees that she's a clue. Yeah. And uh, I don't think he knows that he well, he likes her, but. Oh, right. Like, I, I agree. So, Anya, you said that he likes her. Max, you said there was chemistry. He's yeah. not aware either of those things at this point. No. No, he's not. <laughs> like, like, right now, at this point, he is, um, he's a force of nature, just kind of going through clues. Um, but let's stop here for a second. I, hallelujah, the penguin was done perfectly. <laughs> Yes, yes. He was not a guy with little flippers. <laughs> no, I I have to give Colin Farrell like so much credit for this this role this this his turn in this because oh. he he hides himself in the makeup. He yep. he doesn't. He's been a bad guy in other comic book films, but in this one, he and the director had the right vision for the for the role. There were moments when I watched him in close-ups that I I just thought I looked closely and I thought it's a penguin. Yeah. Like, like, I really thought that's what the penguin is supposed to look like. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, because so, so, you know, and for longtime listeners, both of you, that, you know, like we've talked about Dracula, you know, and, and in my in my mind, I have this idea of what Dracula is supposed to look like, and I haven't seen it yet. You know, I, I haven't I haven't found that. I haven't seen Dracula depicted the way that he is in my imagination. And I I, I was kind of frozen in watching mm-hmm. and thinking, yeah, that's that's exactly what I would have like. I, I didn't know this. Yeah, that's what I wanted. No, he's it, he's great, and it's a, it's a great role. It's a great depiction of that character i think we've gotten some other slam dunks on the rogues gallery we've seen two-face done very well and very poorly we've seen joker done very well and very poorly the first time we've seen maybe a realistic good version of the penguin i think I agree. this is the first time i've ever been like if i was in the room with that guy i would be intimidated by him like yes this is yes. the first time i've been like that's a dangerous guy yeah he's he's low on the totem pole in this mafia organization but but you get the sense that he's a guy who's for lack of a better term going places in this in this world he's not he knows batman's a dangerous person but he's not he doesn't act intimidated by batman you know he's sort of like he knows his limits in dealing with batman but he plays it cool throughout well i mean I think at this point and we don't know this yet but a lot of the movers and shakers in gotham they're not afraid of batman because they have so much power behind them yeah that they they really feel like that they now not the not the basic person on the street you know who's breaking law but they that Batman cannot touch them yeah and in part it's because Batman doesn't necessarily know about them yet it's actually the Riddler who puts Batman on the case yes. through his crimes and his letters and so this has sort of led him to this down this rabbit hole of high crimes and uh, powerful criminals whereas Batman up to this point has just been beating the shit out of street level criminals right and right. like it or not Batman won't like it when he finds this out but Riddler sort of manipulated things to put Batman onto the these people and uncover some of the crimes of Gotham. And so he gets a he gets a clue in the club even though Oswald doesn't give up the goods. This is interesting too because Oswald doesn't tell. He doesn't he doesn't say anything. And this will come up later audience. So Batman tracks Selina down to her apartment. Batman almost comes off like a creeper here but he's not and we understand but I mean, you mentioned this earlier. I really love the way Batman... So, audience, Batman has these contacts that feed into, like, some kind of recording device. And it allows him to go back over the days or the night's mission and 
and review things that maybe he missed. And I just think that's a really neat touch. He he lives this life at night. And then when he's awake at home, he goes over footage of his night's events to see what, what he needs to do and what, what leads he needs to follow or see something that he missed. But anyway, he's watching Selena Kyle chat with uh, the woman in the video. Annika, is that her name? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And she's panicking because I think by this point, there's a, been a news video. He's on TV. Audience. <laughs> What you're about to see is shocking. And they proceed to show everything. They don't blur anything out. They don't, you know, they put everybody in a bad position. And Annika's panicked because she's with the mayor, right? And uh, we're getting a sense that the the town is learning about the mayor. Um, have we seen the vid- have we seen the Riddler talk to anybody yet? No. Um, but also I want to mention in this scene, we don't actually get any of the audio of the conversation between Selena Kyle and Annika at this point. We're okay. just seeing it all from Batman's perspective. He's seeing them through the window Annika is freaking out and crying and um, we heard we heard her um her phone conversation with Annika we did but once we get to the apartment we just see we see what happens we don't hear what happens bit of a Um, silent movie moment which is you know just visual Mm -hmm. yeah this is where like we are shown and not told that like the relationship between Annika and Selena Kyle she's kind of like the big bigger sister or something and then she slips into the cat suit and does some parkour off the side of the building and we react kind of like Batman does with, with like shock and like, awe shock and awe and yeah because that, that's a great little Catwoman moment audience I'm gonna maybe hint at my verdict of the film this is my favorite Catwoman in all of cinema history and I'll give you my rank so far after her it's Eartha Kitt then it's Adrian Barbeau and then it's Anne Hathaway and then I don't care about whoever else happens into the world. <laughs> Jason's laughing. He thinks this is a is a sh- is a shtick. He thinks it's bullshit, but it's not uh, bullshit, I, I tell you. No, I I think by far it's the best catwoman. I, I agree completely. I'm obsessed. Yeah. Now Michelle Pfeiffer could have been a great catwoman. She was not. Halle Berry could have been a great catwoman. She was fucking not. <laughs> You had to Adrian Barbeau, for audiences who, uh, for audience members who don't know this, Adrian Barbeau was Catwoman in Batman the Animated Series, and she would have been a great live-action Catwoman as well in the '70s when she could have done the role. <laughs> But early 80s, too, maybe, for Adrian Barbeau. Uh, Eartha Kitt was the Catwoman from the 1960s Adam West show. Yeah, she was later replaced by somebody else. But yeah. um, in after we get this awesome um, Selena Kyle Catwoman reveal, she gets on her bike. And we don't know where she's going just yet, but she drives off. And then lurking in the background is her new boyfriend. <laughs> and he follows her on his bike and then she sneaks into the penthouse of the mayor the same way that the Riddler did um, probably not he probably didn't do it as cool though no no and then she oh. starts cracking the safe what were we gonna say no go ahead go ahead oh, <laughs> okay and then we start seeing her like uh, cat burglar skills she's breaking into the safe she's getting her friend Annika's passport she's doing she's doing great she's being all stealthy and then Batman pops in and he He's like, you're really good at that. And then they have a little fight. Well, they don't have a fight. Catwoman tries to attack Batman and he just kind of like waves. He, he just sort of dismisses it because he's not really there to fight her. I go ahead. Sorry. I wanted to, I just wanted to pipe in there. Yeah. Um, he asks if she's the one that killed the mayor.
there and she's like no he was like kind of in this abusive relationship with my friend and she needs to get out of town because she's all over the news and yep. mayor stole her friend's passport which is how selena kyle and annika get dragged into the whole situation yes um this this scene here goes back to that point where i like this batman because yeah batman's brooding batman's this batman's that but i like robert pattinson because he's in his own head and he says that oh you seem pretty good at that and it's something that i think probably amused that batman to say selena kyle doesn't find it funny you know she's like who the fuck is this guy who i didn't see a moment ago and the other thing i like about it too is that like she's a very good fighter we see that right away but she is she is not really a match for the batman and the batman doesn't attack her i don't think he punches her or hits her in any in any of this scene jason how did you react to this moment oh i i i thought it was great um you know, kind of the you know the tension that always exists between Batman and Catwoman. Like I, I felt that it was a, a a nice variation on all of that, and and that's played forward. Like their relationship is done very well in this movie. Yeah. In fact, I would um, I would actually, if somebody told me for watching this movie that everybody in the movie was the best. <laughs> that particular role i wouldn't necessarily agree with every statement but it's all defendable except for alfred okay i think i think it's definitely the best Catwoman. i can understand why someone would say robert pattinson is the best batman i would understand why somebody would say jeffrey wright is the best gordon um i i i like i think the film was very well cast and i think that uh, the scene that we're talking about kind of demonstrates that it's it's visually and in terms of interaction exactly what you want batman interfering with cat uh uh with with Catwoman doing a, a committing a burglary, opening a safe, stopping her, but also kind of being on her side. Well, once he realizes that she's not really involved, like there's a moment where somebody comes, a, a police officer comes in to check. Oh, but he doesn't want to get caught either. No, no, and he grabs her, and he and there's also that kind of romantic tension here. I suppose we're supposed to assume. And once she realizes, because he's like just quiet, 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 because he grabs her because he, he doesn't want to fracas with the cop. And once she realizes that she's he's not there to fight her, he's not there to attack her, she calms down. And then when he when the cop leaves, he lets her go. And we get a lot about Batman in this scene, but we also, of course, we also get a lot about Selena Kyle. Once he realizes she's not a murderer, he's a lot less interested in her as anything other than a, a vehicle to solve the main crime. He doesn't care about what she's doing there that much, right? He's not going to take her in. He's not going to, you know, he's not going to arrest her or any of that shit, right? He's not going to take her to be arrested. I like how he drops the the law enforcement or the the justice enforcement aspect of his job and he just starts to interact with her as a human being a little bit i like that a lot in this scene and i like how catwoman also her defenses drop a little bit too and they start having a kind of a normal conversation as normal as these two people can have um i i love everything about their first meeting here as batman and catwoman and i don't know why you would say assume that there's supposed to be some romantic tension oh no, no so much romantic tension there is there is no but but you know, I mean, that's that's what we're supposed to get out of that that scene. Yeah. They really, you get the sense that they kind of like and admire each other from the get go for their skills and stuff like that. But he he does sort of flex a little bit here and say, "You're going to help me." <laughs> 
Well, we don't we don't get that until because we realize she's in it to protect her friend, and yeah. then they go back to the apartment, and um, it's been ransacked. Her, her friend is missing. That's right. Yep, yep. Um, she's freaking out. We get the next Riddler video on on Gotham News. Yeah, yep. <laughs> and it's the commissioner, not not Gordon, because he's not the commissioner yet. Um, this scene, I, I'll, I'll let you take over here, but this scene really fucking creeped me out. It oh really, yeah, I, I, I was. Like, I didn't know what I thought. At, at the beginning of the scene uh and i actually didn't know what i thought of the riddler until the end of the movie but i had i had sort of this like up and down relationship with the character and his depiction until about the end in which i i, I had i think an epiphany but go ahead sorry oh well selena and batman are watching the video together and kind of realizing that they're in this together now i don't think she realizes that they're in it beca- together because of the riddler yeah. but something is going on and she in a very catwoman scene takes out some milk pours it in a glass and she's drinking a glass of milk there's cats everywhere and he's like i know you're gonna help me on this because your friend is missing and then he says the the funny line you've got a lot of cats and, yes. um, um and again i think i think i think bruce wayne sometimes finds things amusing and he says them out loud also he's like this place isn't safe for you the apartment has just been ransacked and she's like i can take care of myself and then he just fucking leaves yep well she can um and uh and i get the sense too that he's not going to be very far away at that point but he he gets it he ropes her into the into the scheme to go back to the place uh the because it's in this scene that he learns about the other club beneath 44 below yeah, and what's but the, I don't know if you guys. Sorry, what? What's the other club called? Forty Four Below. Oh, that's okay. Sorry, and you were gonna say? I don't know if you guys wanted to touch on the Riddler video with the rats and stuff. Oh, so the Riddler has the co- commissioner, and and what's that from? The rats. Yep. What is it from? Yeah, George, George Orwell, nineteen eighty four. Oh, is it? Yeah. Okay, so um, he puts he's got this guy in a, his head in basically a rat cage, and there's like, is there food or something up there? Um, anyway, it seems like yeah, it seems like they're like they're like in the tunnels, and then in the center is like a, a hole for his head, and there's like they're doors. Starving. Yeah, they're there's like doors in the way, and the Riddler is gonna. We don't see it, but the Riddler is gonna remove the doors so that they yeah they can. Yeah, in, in, right. 19, in 1984, that's how they finally purge the uh, the man who has the wrong ideas. Oh, yeah. Okay, so I'll so, ruin something. Yeah, no, that's it, very cool. So they don't show us the rats eating the guy's face um, and on into his head, I presume. Um, this scene, the Riddler is sort of sounding clever at first, and then he kind of will go into these like hoots, and his voice raises. He raises his voice in this like very unsettling, very uncool, if you will, kind of way. We're very used to in these films seeing these like, well, with the exception of the Penguin, um, these kind of clever villains the ping i i want to i want to credit heath ledger's joker here a little bit in being um you know very very cinematic but also he didn't seem so outlandish to me um like it seemed like a like it seemed like a guy who could be real um but very controlled this guy has these moments where his rage seems to take him out of his riddler character and into like this his voice goes through this register that's almost unhinged and i mean it just is unhinged and 
And I'm going to confess here in these scenes where this is the first scenes where we get the Riddler, that jarred me a little bit. I was like, what the fuck is going on with this performance? It wasn't like I was jarred when I saw, say, uh, Eisenberg. Is that his name? His, his Jesse Eisenberg? Yeah, his his uh, Lex Luthor, where I was like, what the fuck are you doing, guy? That's not Lex Luthor. Um, this just unsettled me a little bit. And I was like, is that, what the fuck is this guy doing? It's I'm, I'm a little unsettled by this. Is this the Riddler? I don't know. Um, I came to the conclusion as the, as the, as the film came to an end that this actually seems kind of real. Like the guys um, trying to be kind of calm and cool and smarter than everybody. But then we get a glimpse of kind of the rage that's inside of him. And, and so at first I thought, man, this guy's going over the top. But then I thought about some things I've, some some clips of you know actual crazy people uh, you you can find on YouTube or you know uh, there are a few documentaries where you see people uh, kind of losing it in this way and I th- and I I think the realism of his oscillations into crazy town were what threw me for a second I it didn't throw me out I was just like what is going on Did, what was your reaction to I, I'll put it to you uh, Jason it looks like you've got something to say what was your reaction to the Riddler and then Ani you 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 chime in this is this is the first moment moment where I'm going to start um I'm going to start giving you guys a, I'm going to start a little bit of cold water on okay. what you guys are saying, because this was the moment where I started to see the man from Kansas behind the curtain. Because when I saw the scene, I thought, okay, this is George Orwell. This is seven. And it's taking George Orwell and seven and combining it with what Max, you're quite right. What Heath Ledger did in the dark night. And it's trying, it's trying to recapture that moment by stealing from these other pop culture moments. And it was at this moment in the movie that I started wondering because so to this point it's been a Batman procedural which we've never had before I I adored that part of it and the music beginning in this part of the movie I began to see things that they were doing that didn't quite didn't quite mesh with me uh, because it felt it began to feel a little bit cliche I, I I could see what they were drawing from from these other sources for me the Riddler did not match now see Max you just said that you felt that the Riddler felt very real. And I, I, I'm i not sure that I felt that. Okay. I felt, uh, in fact, okay, you know, we both just mentioned The Dark Knight. I would go back to Red Dragon, you know, the the uh, the prequel to Silence of the Lambs, um, where there was there was a scene where uh, a, a, a reporter who had said bad things was captured and tortured and killed in a very brutal way. It was very harrowing to see. So we've seen this kind of thing before. Yeah. And so to me, beginning here I felt like okay like and, and actually I have to stop here because there is a scene that we skip we haven't talked about Alfred we haven't talked about the Batcave the first exchange between Bruce Wayne and Alfred uh, played by Andy Serkis in which uh, this is earlier in the film we've already talked about this folks where uh, Batman comes back to the cave he's been in a fight it's, it's I think it's after the fight with the on the subway he, he takes all, off all of his regalia and he and Alfred have a conversation that is literally almost verbatim the same conversation that Christian Bale had with Michael Caine. Oh, are you going to go and, and see your guests? Are you going to go and, and make an appearance? Are you going to be Bruce Wayne? And it was it was tiresome. to uh, That was an earlier scene, and that was a, a kind of a moment early in the film that briefly threw me out of it. Because, like, okay, you know, you've got these two great performers who are, who, who are doing a good job in the roles, but uh, this is something that we've seen before. Then we get back to the procedural. Now we now we come forward to this scene and beginning and beginning here. Okay, 
We've done a great job with the procedural, but now here we have another scene where we have the revelation of a serial killer scene, which as Max, you stated is, you know, right out of seven. It's right out of seven. Thematically, it's right out of the dark night. And beginning here, I, I actually, the thread for this movie began to kind of, began to become kind of shaky for me because I began to see what they were doing. Yes, they were trying to do it in, in, in a way that Christopher Nolan and, and Tim Burton had not done, but drawing from other sources, I, I kind of could see, I felt like I could see the man behind the curtain beginning right here in this scene. This is a lot to take in. <laughs> now, for me, I, th- I thought it might be. Go ahead. I can see what you're saying, thinking about it. It doesn't take me out of it because... I think these are all things that you would expect to see in a Batman movie. You would expect to see in a a Batman comic. And they're just kind of like relationships that happen in, in the comics and between these characters. So I wasn't like, I mean, I was, I can see the similarities between the conversations between Christian Bale and Michael Caine, but I feel like we've had pretty much the same conversation with most of the Alfreds and and the Bruce Waynes. I I think I, I, that's where I'm kind of coming down on that. I, didn't mind that and I didn't catch the 1984 thing I've only read 1984 once in my life and it was so depressing I never have revisited that book. reason uh, yeah and so I don't really mind any of that for the same reason I don't mind that I've watched uh El uh Rio Lobo or what what I, I, I can't even think of it. Like, ah. no, I don't mind because... You're aiming that missile right at me, right? <laughs> I, I kind of am. Because I've seen it. I have this relationship with... Uh, well, for, just to kind of, as an aside... I watched this little short on Netflix called Heart Shot, and I've seen the story a hundred times. Uh, secret agent, secret personality, secret something, trying to hide in plain sight, super massive skills, trying to get away from all that, gets pulled back in because their life catches up with them. Seen the story a bazillion times. I didn't mind that I watched it again for ni- for the 19 minutes that the short is, because it was done pretty well. You know, I've seen the same Western <coughs> a bazillion times, and if it's done well i don't mind it and so in some ways like i do with james bond like i do with like some spider-man like like, like i do with a lot of different films like i did with the hulk throughout the 80s every month <laughs> if it's done well i don't mind seeing the story again and for me you're right we've seen this reaction and interaction with alfred and bruce wayne a bazillion times it's sort of par for the course and it's sort of expected the only way they could make it new would sort of be to take it outside the realm of their outside of the realm of their relationship you know like it wouldn't make sense if Alfred said, who's on first? And and Batman was like, I don't know. Uh, no, he's on second. You know, uh, I'm sorry, that's a reference you don't get. And not many of our other audiences will. Uh, audience listen, our listeners probably will either, unless Jason and I's parents are listening to it or uh, something like that. But but so for me, I judge those kinds of scenes by how well they're done. And to me, this this was okay, this was done well. So I, I I think that you're making a valid criticism, but but I also can brandish Howard Hawks at you in re, in response to that criticism. And parry that. That's and so it, I I think that mileage may vary by my defense there, but but I, I that's how I kind of approach that. But I, I'm I'm not being dismissive here of that. I'm just no no. I mean actually I I. I I think I, I accept that. I'm really, I'm, I'm talking about my own experience of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, because up to this point in the film, um, I was kind of in awe of it. The music, the editing, the the, the cast. I mean, including Andy Serkis as well. I, like, you know, I mean, I just criticized that one scene, but I liked him. 
Um, I, I like I like the cast universally. I thought the performances were top to bottom, first rate. And um, but it it was at this point that I began to wonder. I began to challenge myself. I'm talking about in the theater. Yeah. I began to challenge myself about what I really thought about this movie uh, because there were so many things that were that were so positive to me. But I was beginning to I was beginning to want more at about this point. Okay. I was beginning to want more. And okay. we'll, 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 yeah, yeah. No, that's fair. And, and there's, you can't argue with somebody's subjective experience unless it's absolutely right. wrong. <laughs> And so, so now we're getting into the the meat of the mystery. Batman has incorporated Selena Kyle. Selena goes back into what's the name of the club? Forty Four Below. Does okay. I'm just wondering. Does he he doesn't do that until he goes to see Gordon at the the morgue, though? Okay, okay. And um, because and again, this is kind of nice because they show the they show the commissioner. They don't show the commissioner, but they show them looking at the commissioner. They show the they show Gordon's reaction and Batman's unreal action right, um, right gordon is showing batman the cage and batman is really realizing that the cage was created in a maze that had a cipher in it and yep. then somehow i don't remember exactly what happens but alfred helps decipher this cipher as well and don't the they cipher... discover, discover another letter in the in the cage too right no that was i think that, i think that was the first one okay but um alfred realizes that the cipher says you url rata al Lotta. So right. Batman thinks he's talking about a rat. Who's the rat? And Gordon is is having some issues because he's having to come to terms with the fact that there's something very corrupt going on in this um, city government force that he's working in. Yeah. And so now Batman knows that there's a rat, which is when I think. Well, this is this he, is where we start to. Uh, isn't this where we start to see that his father is sort of and maybe implicated in some of this? Well, yeah, we don't get to that until yeah. So until it's revealed, yeah. Okay. Uh, we haven't talked about this yet, but all throughout the movie, they're talking about this drug bust that happened prior to the movie. That's right, the drug bust. The drug bust that and, restructured the underworld. Yeah, and everyone that has died thus far has been a part of the drug bust. Yeah. So Batman has come to the conclusion that the rat that the Riddler is talking about is the rat that helped. Prior to this movie, the, the mafia boss that was on top was a guy named Maroney, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. And after the massive drug bust that took that guy down, the new mob boss becomes uh, played by John Turturro and that's the new boss and below him sits the penguin and that's why Batman thinks that maybe uh, there's a rat in the criminal organization that help the cops make the bust. Yeah. And that Which, leads him back, back to Club 44, 44 Below. Yeah. 42 Below. We have this, the next scene with Selena and Batman and she's like talking to him and feels like she's nothing more than bait for him and he gives her like the thing to put in her eye and the yeah. thing in her ear and um, we, this was a very great moment for me in the theater when she says, you don't care what happens to me in there, do you? And then he's like, Selena, look at me and they have this very intense yeah. stare and then he's like it looks good and he's just talking about the thing in her eye and then she she struts off very upset no i like that i like i like i like the way zoe kravitz plays how tense she is going into this place she doesn't want to go back we find out that she's been in 42 before Four. 44 44 below sorry 44 before and she didn't want to go back down there she it seems like a lot of her working right now is to get out of Gotham. She doesn't like being there. And we, 
but she's you know she's concerned about her friend Annika and she's concerned about her exit plan but so she goes back there to help Batman out and to help herself out and help her friend out and she sort of starts stumbling and she she's she's like doing very good work for Batman actually you know she is hearing conversations he's hearing conversations he's making her look at all these people and as she walks through 44 below the elite the creme de la creme of Gotham is in this club owned by Oswald Cobblepot mm-hmm. well, that's where he sees uh, Gil Coulson the DA yeah Played by Peter Sarsgaard in his second DC film that I know of. Yeah, wasn't he in another Batman movie? I don't know if he was in another Batman movie, but he was in the most amazing DC film ever created. Ryan Reynolds' Green Lantern. Oh, (laughs) He's very good in that. It's not a good movie. Right. He's very good in the Batman. I I think he's such a good actor. I wish that his characters more often had happy endings, but most of the time he gets murdered. Yeah. But I like, you get the sense that he's going to be a creeper, but he's not, I don't know that he quite qualifies for that. He's definitely interested in Selena Kyle and they talk and he clearly, she's, she's, she's an excellent detective. She's an excellent undercover detective because she gets people to say shit, right? Yeah. And, and he just wants, like, she could have gotten most everything out of him. I think if she just started talking to him, because he wants to tell her everything. Yeah. Go ahead, Jason. You got, what, what were you thinking of the scene as it was happening? Oh, no, I, I, um, as this scene was happening, you know, I mean, to me, it's just a deepening of now. I mean, I will say it's very similar to just intimations from Batman Begins that everybody, all the movers and shakers in Gotham uh, after hours are, are in these seedy places. But in this case, you know, there's kind of this actual engagement with him and he expresses his fear which is effective because i mean we kind of know this but we don't necessarily know this that he's he's actually the next target yeah he talks about this riddler being out there and that he's very afraid and so you could you kind of get the sense that tonight the reason he's at club 44 is because he's really afraid yeah and he's trying to escape from that fear and so it, it almost not quite but it almost makes him sympathetic yes almost i really felt felt bad for him i i mean yeah he took a bribe and yeah he's problematic yeah but it wasn't like he was like a vindictive or like cruel person he was still somebody that you could like you know yep well, I mean, the film does a very good job uh, on a very human level because actually, you know, the very first scene on you that you mentioned where the mayor is hugging his son and yeah. the film definitely shows us Bruce's perception of this now orphan child whose father is dead. And, you know, yeah, the mayor was not a good guy. In fact, we only see him in the one scene. But mm-hmm. I think the film does work well in terms of the victims. None of them are good people, but just that kind of human level where we all have pity for other human beings no matter who they are yeah oh i would like to say that he might not have been a good person but it seems like he was a good dad or in like right yeah i yeah. mean um and there may have been other things that we you know that, that we're not privileged to know about mm-hmm. which is how life is like you know you meet people you, you learn good things about them you learn bad things about them but when it really gets down to it you never get the whole story but when you see them cornered anybody and i mean anybody when you see anybody cornered there's kind of this reaction of, well, I know what that would feel like, and I wouldn't want to do that. And this is a fellow human being. I know what they must be feeling. I don't like this. And I think this movie does a good job of helping us to um, feel sorry for some of these people while not respecting them. Yeah, yeah. Well, 
and and the stars guard role he gets more he gets more meat than any of the other victims because the next yes. time we see him after he gets attacked he's not killed outright after we He's missing. The, the The city's looking for him. Uh, everybody goes to the funeral of the mayor. So this is the next major beat of the film. Bruce Wayne goes to the funeral uh, and he runs into... He's Has he learned anything about Falcone yet? Falcone yet? Uh, no. We Well, actually we did. We In the scene in 44 Below, which is the first time we kind of see Falcone, we see him through Selena Kyle's eyes, through the camera. He comes up to her, gets uncomfortably close to her and starts like caressing her face. Yeah, yeah. And she, she's got that same look like tears about to come out of her eyes. Yeah. And he says some creepy stuff to her. And at first I got the vibe that they had been in like a toxic uh romantic relationship and uh, which is the vibe <laughs> that batman got also yeah yeah um, um, and then there's that, that fight so that's the relationship that at least i thought going into the next scene yeah. that kyle and falcone had yeah um, so we uh, had a we had a brief scene with him and then he shows up uh at the funeral and they have a little talk about how how bruce's dad saved falcone after he'd been shot yeah bruce bruce thinks he sees selena kyle with falcone so he he rushes up turns out it's another woman and falcone is like hey 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 and then he tells the story about getting shot and kind of forcing his way into the the wayne's home and like i got the picture that it was like bruce wayne didn't i mean thomas wayne didn't have a choice like there are probably people with a gun at it to his head like you better like save this guy yeah and falcone really implies that there was some friendship between them but i want to highlight something about how we haven't got the playboy yet when when he turns around and sees Bruce, he's like, oh, it's the second most reclusive man in Gotham, implying that he's the first. Falcone is the first. Mm -hmm. And so we Bruce isn't the guy who's out and about and around town, right? And and then then they had a little conversation about that. And why do you think that is? Why do you think your dad did that? Falcone is implying that there was some deep relationship between he and and Thomas Wayne. And Bruce is like, I I, I think it was the Hippocratic Oath that caused him to do it. <laughs> Audience, if you don't know what the Hippocratic Oath is, go look it up but and falcone doesn't necessarily agree or doesn't he thought it was very funny that yeah. that's what he said yeah and so and then they go on to the funeral bruce is almost immediately accosted by the leading mayoral candidate in gotham who very much seems to be somebody who's interested in changing the status quo of gotham it would seem it would and, seem uh, yeah <laughs> I mean, I, everything I see in the film implies to me that she is that person. Um, it's it's very helpful that her last name isn't Dent. Is it helpful that her last name is Rial or Real? No, I didn't notice. Do you not like that, Jason? Uh, to me, I I felt that her character was very much like something out of C.S. Lewis or John Bunyan. Like, you know, so there's lies and there's the truth. So now we have this mayoral candidate whose name is Real. Gotcha. That was a little bit too... On the nose? Uh, a little bit too allegorical for me. Okay. Uh, which, you know, look, it totally fits in with the theme of the movie. Yeah. And, and I know that here in a little bit, we're going to start getting into a lot of the thematic material of um, not, not the Wayne family drama but rather the gotham city thematic material which has appeared in other batman movies but is very central in this movie but that's that's where we're getting to yeah 
And she pulls him aside and, and, and starts to talk to him about how he can help Gotham. You can help Gotham. You're not doing it. She's basically, you know, saying you can do more, not realizing, of course, that he's going out and incurring lots of she tissue says, damage every night in, in Gotham. But she's right. He can do more and in different ways. She says, as far as I can tell, you're not doing anything to help this city. Yeah, yeah. And uh, she's right. Yeah, yeah. As far as she can tell. Hold on. In my opinion, the theme of this movie is, is that she's right. It might be. It, it might be. I, I think that that's fair. No, not might. Not might. That's the theme of this movie. No, I think that that's fair. Um, we'll get to that. I, I think that that might be fair. I think that she had. There's a case that she could be correct. Uh, but but. Um, Go ahead. In this scene, since it's the mayor's funeral, we have another. Uh, she she's talking to him, and she leaves to go pay her respects. And then Bruce once again makes eye contact with the son of the mayor, yeah. and they kind of like look at each other and like have this weird kind of moment of understanding. Yeah, and like I'm like wondering if this kid doesn't know that that's Batman because they both stood there like I thought of that too. I thought like, of that stared too. at him. I mean, it might be the case that that is true but they also share something more profound and the yeah. parents have been killed in a one of the, at least one of their parents in his case in the in the kid's case they both they both they're both members of a really narrow club yeah and, yeah. and the kid would know that because bruce is a celebrity yeah yeah, yeah. A reclusive um, one, but a celebrity. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. It's at that point where the DA, Peter Sarsgaard, makes his appearance. Gordon is right behind Bruce. And he's whispering to the other cops, like, the DA is missing. And then Bruce is, like, sneakily listening. Yes. And then we hear screaming outside. We hear commotion. Yeah. And then a, an SUV flies through the the center wherever they are and Bruce runs and sprints and saves the mayor's kid because the mayor's kid got up to see what was going on. Yes. And then um, all very effective. This, and this is this is where I think the SARS guards acting really makes us feel bad for the DA because he gets out of the car, he's got a phone taped to his hand, and he's got a collar on his head, uh, on his neck rather, and you know that that collar is attached to something nasty. And he's also saying, "I'm sorry, I'm sorry, he made me do it." He feels bad about nearly killing a bunch of people right yeah. he's not a good guy he takes bribes but i get the sense from his behavior that he never wants to he never wants to hurt people physically he doesn't want to see anybody damaged in that way and here we get some more of the riddlers riddling and Anya, you, i don't remember exactly what the purpose of the riddles is for but he's got to he's oh. got to do three riddles to, to to undo the bomb that's on his neck yeah wherever they are it gets cleared out of people and batman shows up and the phone that's attached to the DA has kept ringing until Batman shows up because the DA has a, a card taped to his chest and then on the inside inside it says answer. So Batman answers the phone and the Riddler asks these very pointed questions like something about the I remember the first answer to the first riddle is justice and then the second answer is bribes and he's asking how much money it took for him to to kind of flip yeah. and then the third question is who's the rat basically you won't tell and yeah and the da is like if i don't answer it's just gonna be me that dies but if i do answer a bunch of people are gonna die and so he, he, he's not really a decent person but he is able to make calculations yep. mm -hmm. yeah. well he 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 does i mean he he makes the the call for his family is my family that could get killed there are pe there there are people that he would and has sold out yeah. but there's a lot yeah and I mean, it's kind of a brave act. Yeah, he you know? gets, he meets very grisly end. Yes, yes. This is a device that has been used actually in real life. I, I there's a, 
really crazy Netflix documentary where something like this actually happens in it. You've seen the documentary, right, Anya? I know the story. Yeah. But anyway, I mean, it's the bomb that they use in this is a little more powerful, but it's as unexpected in that church as it was in that documentary. But uh, Batman gets knocked out and it's only through Gordon's protection that his mask doesn't come off. Right, because he gets taken back to the station and we have this really nice scene like Batman's on the table in like an interrogation room and there's a ton of cops just like kind of like hovering around him and you hear Gordon like hey get back and some people are trying to pull his mask off and then Batman like jumps up and starts like attacking people like don't fucking take my mask off he hits the guy who was taking his mask off and one of the cops who's been most skeptical is like no I got you for assaulting an officer and then Batman clobbers him as like I assaulted three I thought that was a really nice nice little moment again that 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 Bruce Wayne in his own head sometimes vocalizing things he shouldn't and uh he can get away with it though hmm? he can get away with it though he can get away with it more than most but he almost didn't here he almost didn't and again it's that that Gordon Gordon really goes for the mat to the mat here for Batman and he says give me a couple minutes and I'll get him to cooperate and I really love every moment of Jeffrey Wright's performance in this next scene because he he's having a, a fairly normal conversation with Batman but he's, he's looking like he's chewing Batman. Batman out better than Pattinson in this scene. Do you think so? Yes, because I I know what you're talking about because he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. but he's saying normal things. And I actually watched Pattinson because I was so impressed by that, that I watched how Pattinson was responding to him. Now, in context, like, okay, Batman would probably just be very stoic. And so maybe that's just what, he was just doing what Batman would do. Yeah. uh, But so I'm not criticizing Pattinson. It's a, it's a scene where Wright shines for sure. But yeah. 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 And they, they, they hatch a plan for how Batman's going to get out. And, and, and Pattinson, Pattinson's like, well, how am I going to get out? And he's like, we're going to have to hit me. And <laughs> they're talking and he's take this key. And he's, you know what he is? Wright is so good at saying one thing, but looking like for the audience of the police, he's saying something else. And then he sort of goes on talking about how they're going to get out. Anya, go ahead. Me and my friend were watching this and we were just like, are they going to kiss? <laughs> they're so close. And then... And, and and then out of the blue, as Wright's in the middle of his, like, here's what you're going to do, Pattinson clobbers him and escapes. And the cops are like, oh, my God. And then they meet back at their little rendezvous point. No, but this leads to one of my favorite scenes in the movie, because he, Jason, to your point, this is a scene that's kind of similar to a scene in the first Batman movie. He's in the police station. He shoots a grappling hookup and gets away from all the cops and then... There's no bats in this scene, but I didn't care. I thought it was still really cool. It it was spectacular. It was great. He gets to the roof and he has this moment where he's, he's, he almost falls off and he pulls the strap or something on his suit and he has like a, it creates like a little air glider thing. yeah. Yeah. And that scene where he's flying is so cool. And then he has the worst wipeout. He like hits a truck and a car. And I'm like, we haven't seen this in another Batman movie. You know, I, I, yeah, I actually, I kind of want to comment because I almost saw it as not a, not an in-joke, but a very serious commentary on past Batman movies or even DC movies, period, where Wonder Mm -hmm. Woman and, 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 and Batman are standing on top of these huge stacks. Shoes like well, how a how did they get up there? B why do they want to stand there? And when he comes to the edge, I think it's a gargoyle. 
that yeah. you were talking about. And he's and there is a moment where he's like, whoa, like he almost has a sense of vertigo, which yeah. I think you would have. And I I, I almost saw it as an in-joke. I mean, it's not played this way, but I almost saw it as an in-joke because there's so many moments, especially in the Nolan film, where Batman is just randomly standing on top of these very high places <laughs> where you're like, you know, is he enjoying that? Like really high <laughs> i wouldn't um, yeah the other thing i like about this scene is how dynamic the wingsuit flying looks there's plenty of video of people flying on these kinds of suits so there's a there's a lot of great reference for animators to create a scene or composite a scene together here and i thought that it, it was really nice because there's no cgi cape there's none of that it looks like something that could physically happen because we've seen things like that physically happen before in wingsuits and and, and so I thought that they captured the physics really nicely. And then Batman, of course, gets pretty roughed up on the landing, which I agree on. It was very cool. Mm -hmm. And then he and Gordon meet at their little rendezvous spot. And I was worried that the cops were going to, I thought we were going to see this too soon, that the cops were going to try and accost Batman at the at the rendezvous. But I really liked the moment where, where Gordon was like, uh, you could have pulled the punch. <laughs> Batman's like I did right. and then they they get back to solving the crime and it gets back to the, the to the Batman procedural which we just haven't seen enough of right where, where does it go next on you um that's what I'm wondering I'm wondering if it goes to the Selena Kyle car chase scene first or if it goes to the orphanage scene first because because he there's the scene where they they go and they kidnap Cobblepot together right and they, they think that the penguin is the rat. Yes. I'm just not. I think that happens before the Selena Kyle scene. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah, that's right. Because Batman does catch up with her later on and she's robbing Falcone. And so we find out that she's, she's also there to, she's also in Gotham to, to take a lot, a big chunk out of Falcone's wallet because she's his daughter. Yeah. And Batman sort of just lets that go. He doesn't really care that she's stealing what, $450,000 or something from. Well, 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 hold on because actually Max, you'll appreciate this that scene where he challenges her and and kind of provides his own little theory about what what's going on is is very humphrey bogart is it it's this and it's this and it's this and then no i'm his daughter <laughs> oh that's right that's right well yeah. because some because he's sort of the jealous boyfriend in that scene isn't he yeah um, yeah and then, then the, the big reveal is that, and he sort of neglected her. I don't even, does he even know that she, she he does know that she's his daughter, right? He, she, he um, knows, but what happened was like, we find out later that he murdered her mother and, um, no, he she did. Goes, she, he did. The revelation that, that she's his daughter, Batman doesn't know that until she tells him. Yeah, yeah. He thinks that she's no yeah i'm saying that she thinks he's had she he knows that she's she knows him yeah they have some kind of relationship and he kind of throws out you know spaghetti noodles to see what'll hit you know stick to the wall basically. i i thought what was being said just now is that falcone neglected selena kyle yeah, that's what i was saying but i wasn't saying yeah i wasn't saying oh, that. oh, oh okay yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um and so that comes out and that's why she's there to kind of extract something from Falcone. But when she's stealing, cause there's like, they're, they're in the rain, Gordon and Batman have tracked down Penguin and then Batman sees Selena Kyle come up and he confronts her where they're about to have this like throwdown, And she's like, I'm, this is my money. I'm taking it. And she opens up one of the duffel bags and then her friend is in the duffel bag. And I loved both of their reactions because 
she's like, she like takes a, an inhale and you can just see his eyes widen. Yeah, wasn't and, expected. Yeah. And then he gets shot up by one of the penguins goons and she, she gets out of there after well he saves her at some point because he he somehow crawls away and gets into his muscle car all right so i think i can't remember exactly how we got to that point but but yeah i i'm i'm confused about the timeline right here it's all right right. audience that'll be a surprise for you if you haven't seen the movie but they're about to go pursue her because she's got away with a lot of the money and i batman's crawled away they didn't they didn't realize it they didn't notice it well but what happens is she's like crying on one side of the car and the penguin is moving around the car and then the batman starts his own car and they all turn around and they're like what is that and it's dark and we start to see flashes of blue we see the jet engine of the car and this is a really wonderfully intimidating entrance for a vehicle i didn't know that i was in was wanting this moment in the movie the the car moment but everybody's like what the fuck is this oswald cobblepot's facial expression is great and then this car comes at them like christine's more dangerous older brother and the villains scatter as as the Batmobile starts to chase them down. And this this is a great car chase. Uh, I, I think that the this is a tough thing for a Batman movie to tackle because there have been a lot of great car chases in the Batman films. I have to say, from even from some of the Tim Burton films uh, and on through the franchise, there have been a lot of great car chases. And this is really this one stands up to the best of them. I think. Did you guys have fun in this segment? No, you didn't like the segment. I did not think it was a great car chase. I thought it was. Oh God, okay. I, I thought it was poorly edited. Uh, I, I realized, I recognized that there's a lot of great car crashes, but actually, I compared this. Uh, this car chase reminded me of the car chase in the pre-credit sequence of Quantum of Solace. Oh. That, it, that, that it was edited in such a way that it kind of threw me out of it. I felt mm-hmm. that I that it was hard to keep up with. And um, now there were a couple moments, especially you know, kind of the close-ups of the penguin, you know, and 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 the the uh, the belief that he had killed Batman, I got you in this kind of thing, and then Batman comes through the fire. You know, that's really cool. But before that, I actually um, I I didn't like the way it was edited. I I um I did not find it thrilling. Oh, I I I guess I'm totally in the other camp, and, and especially because of that payoff at the end. Because so Penguin thinks he's got the Batman hammered because a bunch of semis have this kind of major crash up, and there's a big explosion, and you know. If you don't remember who you're being pursued by, you probably think you're in the clear because everybody's dead in a fiery explosion. But when the car emerges, so this is the denouement of the crash, uh, and the the car lands in slow motion, and then it's real-time acceleration of that car. Oh, God, that the acceleration of that car into the rear ending of the other car is a thing of pure physics beauty. And... <laughs> And then we see the we see the interior of the penguin's car tumbling and this and that and this it's a harrowing little crash. But okay, that's cool. Maybe we've seen that before. But then we get this wonderful image of the Batman backlit by the flames, the dum dum. <laughs> of the Batman approaching the car. And this is this image is pure Greg Capolo art from one of the best runs of Batman ever. And the penguin is justifiably scared. Anya, I'm sorry you had your hand up. Let me call on you now. Oh no, I was just saying, and also the whole time it's upside down. Yes. Yes, yes that's exactly right. Mm-hmm. And, and then and so you've got that uneasiness of that of that perspective. Go ahead. 
we've just figured out the timeline also because this is where batman grabs penguin and then so now we know which order the scenes go (laughs) okay and so batman now has the penguin and they have the the interrogation where they where they learn that there's that he and gordon spanish is not all that it could have been and that they might have consulted google translate which i think even cobblepot suggests to them but we also learned that so earlier in the film we saw that bruce wayne's father was going to run for mayor and he pledged a billion dollars to the city wait we don't learn this yet oh we don't no We're, he realizes that the riddler has made a pun url rada alada oh that's right url rada alada so that's how he, he gets on, he gets oh online. that's right so so he messages he mess he has a little uh he texts texting with the riddler on his computer yep. and the riddler gives him a riddle because he's like you haven't figured it all out yet the penguin's not the rat and the the answer to the riddle is orphan which sends the to the Gotham City Orphanage. Okay. And then, then we get the, the Thomas Wayne, which you, you can... Okay, so so what we find out, is it through the website? Yeah. Uh, they have... They there's chat. Like a, they chat. Yeah. Like on an instant messenger kind of thing. Gotcha. Yeah. But then when they get to the um, the orphanage, there's a video of Thomas Wayne playing. Yes, yes. And, and that's when Batman realizes, because also spray painted on the wall is the sins of your father or something. yes. yes. This is how who the next victim is. But in the course of this, they I think at some point they learned that this billion dollar fund was sitting there. And when Wayne died, a lot of these corrupt officers, a lot of these corrupt people who had, you know, who had offices of the public trust and also criminals saw that there was maybe a way to get at this big cash cow. No no oversight. But 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 Thomas Wayne had pledged a billion dollars to to the city and he was running for mayor, too. Correct. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, and at the end of the day, though, uh, he gets killed and none of the promise of Thomas Wayne is fulfilled. Uh, you're making a lot of presumptions. We don't really know. Yeah. Because uh, Alfred definitely um, massages Thomas Wayne's legacy, but the Riddler does not agree with what you're saying. No, no, no. He believes that Thomas Wayne was four square uh, part of all of this. He does, he does. Um, and I think the I, I think it's pretty clear that the Riddler's wrong, but this is the Riddler's perception because his life was certainly altered. We'll find later by the fact that this, this urban renewal thing renewal that's something that's also a theme in the film we see a lot of- I, I don't think the film does demonstrate that the riddler's wrong okay because uh, because because alfred uh tries to uh you know so you know in a little bit bruce wayne will confront falcone and ask you know for the truth falcone will give him the information and then he goes uh we are getting ahead because uh, <laughs> but 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 he goes to alfred and he and you know and and and, and we have the return of the jedi why didn't you tell me yeah um and um and then alfred kind of defends thomas wayne's legacy yeah. but it's very clear in what from what alfred says that alfred doesn't know well there's some ambiguities Alfred has his beliefs yeah um so it, it might be worth it to to go through this bit this scene in a little bit but but it's here that uh isn't it here that they accidentally upload by opening up the the computer files that they reveal a bunch that was of, earlier that was earlier okay yeah so oh that, um, that's why Annika got really nervous right yeah, yeah. Thumb drive thing. okay like, he realized that, that was the, the thumb drive yeah yeah okay uh, sorry sorry it's um a, it's, it's, a, it's at this point that they discover or that batman discovers that uh 
um, there's a plot to kill Bruce Wayne. Yes. So Bruce Wayne is the next target. And simultaneously, we'll, we're getting a couple of different uh, things happening. We're seeing Alfred opening up a letter for the Batman. Alfred's pretty skeptical of this weird letter anyway. I mean, he I think he realizes that it's from the from the Riddler. Um, and Batman is trying to get home before whatever bad thing is going to happen. I think this seems pretty effective. Uh uh, also, this is one of the things where I was really kind of happy with the fan service. There's a kind of moment where uh, we're clearly getting a reference to the 1966 show where Batman calls the manor and it's that old woman that Alfred always hung out with in the, in the 60s show. And she's like, is Alfred there? And he's like, uh, oh, I'm sorry, sir. Um, and she explains to him that actually the thing that he's trying to stop has already occurred. Yeah. So actually, um, you know, I just criticized editing. This scene is imaginably edited. It's kind of a, a callback to Jonathan Demi and uh, Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. Where where you have uh, Clarice ringing the bell, uh, or, or excuse me, uh, you have the FBI agents ringing the bell, and it looks like that they have found the house, but actually it's Clarice that's ringing the bell. And the the way the scene is cut, it appears that Batman is this close to saving Alfred, yeah, and that Alfred just isn't answering the damn phone, yeah. Actually, what's in you know, there's this cut, 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 but the, we see Batman racing to. Wayne Manor and then it cuts back to something that's already happened yeah and so when the phone is answered it happened long ago so it's a very creatively uh, uh edited scene absolutely um I appreciated that a lot and and they also do a nice job of doing the reveal for Alfred is like uh he opens the package and um and then there's a, this little envelope that says for Batman I prayer for and he reacts quickly enough that it, it saves his life, probably. Um, but he's quite injured, and we see uh, Robin, uh, we see Bruce Wayne kind of, you know, hanging out by his bedside. And uh, at some, but in between some of this, he does confront Falcone about what his father's legacy really is, because what is revealed at the at the orphanage is that. Thomas Wayne may have had a reporter killed because of the fact that there was going to be something awful revealed about his wife, uh, Martha Arkham. I think that's her last name, right? And yeah. so we get this, <clears throat> we learn in this scene that the Waynes and the and and the Arkhams are old money in Gotham. And they're like, and so naturally the Riddler would would certainly consider them to be fair game. And uh this is where I find the Riddler to be even more vile than he has been up to this point, because he's going after Bruce Wayne, who had nothing to do with any of this shit, right? Uh, yeah, but, no idea. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And uh, but this is this is kind of the twisted logic of the Riddler. Uh, so um, when he goes to so this this reporter was going to break this great story. Uh, Anya, you had a little trivia about the reporter. Yeah, the the name of the reporter is Thomas Elliot, I think. And that character is the grandfather or the father of one of Batman's iconic villains, Hush, who is. And so Hush is the same age as Batman. And in the comics, they were friends as children and like, or like in college and stuff. And um, he turns out to be a really bad guy. <laughs> um, and so this reporter is going to break a story. And there, there's a couple of reasons we'll hear about why Thomas Wayne decided to call in his favor from Falcone. Yeah. He says, look, this guy's going to break a story. Go scare the hell out of him. Don't let him, uh, uh, don't let this story go. He tried to bribe the guy. So Thomas Wayne did try and bribe the guy. Um, then and, and Bruce, Falcone, go ahead. I'm sorry. Bruce hears about all of this. And at this point, Alfred is still out yeah. and very, a very emo Bruce Wayne 
goes to see Falcone yeah. and it's raining. And then he he goes to the Iceberg Lounge and we meet the twins again. And for the second time, they're like, look at this. Who's this guy? This is this is the guy. Yeah. And then he goes to see Falcone and Falcone is like, I know why he's here. You guys, when he tells the rest of his guys to clear out of the room. And then he spins the narrative that... Um, who's Maroney, Maroney the other crime boss had uh, Bruce Wayne's father killed let's and- pause a moment that's right that's absolutely right I just want to for a moment sing the absolute praises of John Turturro in this film we've had Falcone in other films be portrayed really wonderfully I really like Turturro in this role I like how sly he is and how he's always spinning things how he's always mixing the truth with untruth um in a way that's credible i was <coughs> i was like bruce go get maroney after after john Turturro works his magic on bruce i was like you gotta go get maroney now that's he convinced me you know yeah so i could see why bruce confronted alfred in the way he did which i thought was it was more gentle than i thought it was gonna be you know it was it was more like come on guy why didn't you tell me because mm-hmm. for a second i was very worried that we were gonna i told i told this to anya I was worried we were going to get that that third act romantic comedy moment where our heroes break apart only to come back together in the in the final part of the movie. But that didn't happen. I was I was thankful that the movie didn't waste my fucking time. Jason, what are you? Uh, sorry, Anya, go ahead. Oh, it just looked like Jason had something to say. <laughs> No, I, I actually, I, I agree that that scene where uh, John Turturro as Falcone, in this in this film, Falcone, I will point out that in Batman Begins, it's Falcone. Yeah, that's why, yeah. That's what, yeah. yeah, but um, uh, he, he is very convincing and um, uh, very gentle. Uh, and actually, um, now, but I will say this, I, I think he's more effective in those scenes than he is later when his true colors are shown. Yeah. But, um, mm-hmm. but, but I agree with you. I, I, I bought it as well. Yeah, you know, it was, it was, you know, kind of a kind of a heartbreaking arc, and kind yeah. of, and and very much, um, very much about disillusionment. Yes, this part of the film is very. I mean. So we have this slow unmasking uh, because, uh, you know, when you go back to the, uh, the thumb drive, we, when we see the mayor with this woman, I mean, we get the sense Gordon didn't know about it. So th- th- there's kind of the slow unmasking of what really is happening in Gotham City, which is the Riddler's goal. His goal is to stop the lies and provide the truth. Batman and Gordon are basically on this journey, you know, to, to kind of discover the truth. And in Batman's case, he's discovering the truth about the city and about what happened to him when he was younger yeah in that regard in terms of the riddler's reign of terror it seems like gordon and the batman are the safest people are the safest people you can be in the city right now but so batman goes to he's hanging out with alfred and alfred wakes up and they kind of have a little moment do they have the moment like i decided i he was kind of coming to terms with who he was like why does he push people away well that moment before or after he confronts alfred well he has this moment where he he confronts alfred as soon as he wakes up and I felt bad for Alfred because at first he wakes up and looks very happy to see his son figure and then realizes Bruce is really mad at him and then they have this conversation where Alfred tells his side of the story where he I guess uh, chooses to believe in the Thomas Wayne that he knew and you kind of get the sense that he was more of a bodyguard than a butler yeah just in the way he uh, talks about the family and then Bruce Wayne realizes because this is where Alfred says he believes and what Bruce chooses to believe as well is that Carmine Falcone or Falcone was most likely the person responsible for the Wayne's death 
And then we have this moment, which I think is really great, where you can clearly see Bruce Wayne struggling to find the words and struggling to convey the emotion of saying out loud, like, I thought I was going to lose you. Yeah. And it's very muted, but you can tell that he's not someone that wants to deal or confront those emotions. Well, yeah, it's 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 a neat moment because he, he sort of, it's, it's almost in this time where he comes to understand why he pushes people away why he is aloof why he stays away from everybody because he never really wants to go through that pain again there's a lot of twinning in literature and stuff like that you can see characters done different ways and and in many ways this sort of reminds me of Anakin Skywalker being faced with this choice only making all of the wrong decisions whereas Bruce at least understands this about himself and and sort of it seems to me comes to realize that maybe that hiding isn't good and isn't the right thing to do i mean did you guys get that sense i don't know if or he at least recognizes get, that about himself i didn't get that sense until much later in the movie that like i got the sense that he was accepting that he loved alfred but i didn't get the sense that he realized like who he was more until like later on in the movie i i would i i would agree with that because i mean the 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 um the arc for batman in this movie is understanding the source of his mission and you know what it means yeah he does not that doesn't happen here no i think i think that he sort of sees that connection is not in this scene maybe the right way but late in the film when he makes some different decisions that when he makes some decisions in the final in the denouement of the film i'll get to that in a bit it's i think this is a nice touching scene i think it works really well pattinson does a great job of being you know like really understanding as bruce wayne who batman is who he is you know so you know i'm not really i'm not afraid to die none of that worries me you know we'll see that over and over again in the film but go ahead on your side oh yeah, that scene ends with Alfred and, and Bruce holding hands. Yes, yes. Kind of like, I love you, bro. And then Batman looks up and he sees the bat signal in the sky. And he runs into Gordon on the way there. He's like, well, did you put it up? And Gordon's like, no, I thought you put it up. And then we run into Selena Kyle, who put up the signal because she found one of the dirty cops that was going to lead her to, or was going to like dish some dirt on Falcone. Mm-hmm. And she's like, beating the crap out of him she has his gun and he's like she's like let's go kill falcone because and this is where she finds out some like a lot of bad stuff that oh right she finds she recovers her friend her she yeah she finds her friend's phone on the cop and then we have the we hear the message of her friend being murdered by her father yeah, she recovers right. her. She recovers her phone because. Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. Because because her friend had called her, and so the the interrogation slash torture death was recorded on. Because remember when they returned to Selena's apartment, she says, "Mom, my phone's gone." Yeah, right. She finds her phone on this dude. Yeah, and that's yeah. And gets the message, and she plays it for Batman and Gordon, and then right. played on the evening news. In its yeah. right, and then after they hear the message she says let's go kill him and bruce is trying to tell her like don't throw your life away like this is bad but we can do this another way and then she has this awesome moment where she uh looks at him and and puts her foot on the cop and she's like don't worry i got nine lives and then she tries to kill the cop by kicking him off the roof and then she jumps off the roof because she's gonna go and try and kill her father yeah Yep. It's a great moment. I think it's a good scene. And uh, I, I, you know, kudos to Batman for trying. 
to stop her from doing what she's about to do. But um, I, this this leads us in the last act of the film, right? Pretty much. Yeah. They go, they have the con- confrontation with Falcone or Falcone. And it goes, as you would expect, Batman stops Selina from killing him and brings him into the light to be arrested. Which is when the Riddler shoots him from his apartment. And we find out that the Riddler has been very close this whole time, just across the street from the Iceberg Lounge, where most of this has been going down. Yes. Batman gets there before all the cops. The apartment's empty except for all of this crazy, like all of the journals and ciphers and like torture paraphernalia in Riddler's apartment. But then they get a call that this guy is in a coffee shop and they catch the Riddler, but because he wants to be caught because he has set up this plan. In this movie, Gotham has seawalls and he has placed bombs all around the city, which he reveals to Batman once Batman comes to visit him in Arkham after he's been caught. Yeah, And so the seawalls crash and, and Riddler kind of unveils his plan and he kind of thought Batman, he seems to legitimately have thought that Batman was going to, was on his side. Um, and Batman, there's, there's some miscommunication between the two because Batman's pretty sure that the final target of the Riddler is him, Batman. He thinks he's going to be unmasked by the Riddler. And kudos to Bruce Wayne. He takes it pretty well. He goes to go ahead and play out the final mission as it's, you know, oh, this is probably the end of me. I'm going to be arrested after I'm, it's going to be hard for me to survive this if I get unmasked. But he's going to do it. Um, he goes and visits Riddler in the, in the, in the Arkham. And Riddler sort of thinks that he's been working with Batman it seems. I couldn't have done this without you. And there are a couple moments where Batman thinks, oh, he's revealing me here. Bruce Wayne is the... But it's really just the Riddler saying Bruce Wayne is the bad guy. Bruce Wayne is one of the bad guys we've got to punish. But his whole plan is to get everybody in one place so that these people that he's been fucking communicating with on what I presume is the dark web can wipe out Gotham's hoi polloi. What do you think, Jason? You look kind of... You're making a face. This, this is where the movie just absolutely falls apart for me. Oh, wow. That's 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 hot. That's, 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 that's dark words let's go ahead for the rest of the show (laughs) mute yeah Um, no i i actually yeah i i really i i'm sure you guys disagree with me but the third act of this movie absolutely just just falls okay I I was I was eye rolling uh, like there was no tomorrow for the for the third act of this movie for this reason I mean actually and and some of it's implied in what you, in what you've already said so you're quite right Batman always oh, going to unmask me he goes to the Riddler and there's this miscommunication the Riddler is you're not as smart as I as I took you for well one of the problems of the movie is the Riddler's absolutely right is that Batman never saw any of this coming he doesn't prevent it once those bombs went off I felt this movie went off the rails because Riddler won. There is, I, I, I don't know why he was upset at the end of the film. He absolutely won. He he killed everybody he wanted to kill, except Bruce Wayne. And the mayor, and the new mayor. I'll get to that in a second. Um, he killed everybody that he wanted to kill, except for Bruce Wayne and the new mayor. And then he, he blew the levees. There were surely many people drowned and killed. There were many people killed in the, in the stadium. Everyone kind of played right into his hands because oh my god, the city's flooding. Let's go into the stadium that has where the center of the stadium is is below ground level where the waters can go down and drown us that was stupid 
And then he has these snipers shooting people, uh, you know, sh- shooting the, you know, the movers and shakers of Gotham. And the goal is to kill the mayor, who we've mentioned her, not a well-written character. We've had a debate. We've had a, co- a brief conversation with Bruce Wayne. And we've had this courageous decision to go out and tell the people what they need to do. Otherwise, we know nothing about her except that she's an idealist and that she wants, she also wants to end Massa City. So why the Riddler wants to shoot her, I don't know. But I, I thought that was stupid. And uh, and then she does get shot. She does live. But I felt that like w- once the floodwater, which looked spectacular, it was a great effect. But once the floodwaters came in, I started kind of rubbing my head thinking, well, the Riddler won. Batman may as well have, he may as well have not done anything. Yeah, you're shaking your head, but I am because I, I, he accomplished accomplished nothing. The Riddler, the Riddler absolutely achieved his objective. He absolutely got all the information out there that he wanted. He absolutely killed all the people that he wanted. There is no part of his plan that did not work. Um, Now there is kind of this sense that maybe, oh, you know, maybe, maybe Gotham will be reborn, but why? Because everyone was corrupt. Everyone was corrupt. We did not get to know this mayor. We, We know nothing about her. We know nothing about her family. We know nothing about her history. All we have are words, the same words that Thomas Wayne had. So why are we to believe that she is some kind of white knight? Because again, what I'm what I'm telegraphing to you is that this is absolutely the Dark Knight story. This is Gotham is poison, but we've got this savior that can save the city, but it's not Batman, it's somebody else. And in this case, it's Batman discovering that, oh my God, I'm the reason why all this happened. My I am vengeance mission. So Batman is in some ways the villain in this movie. I I think you're a lot like Edward Nigma right now, Jason. No, I, I I'm telling you, I I really feel that thematically the theme of this movie is that Batman's mission is BS. Because okay, there's the moment when they're fighting in the stadium, and then there's the the um, the moment where Catwoman saves him, and she and she's kind of looking down at him. Him, and suddenly there's this jump scare moment where she gets attacked by one of the one of the Riddlers and he, he injects himself with this super serum and then he can save her. And then there's this just random Riddler guy and everyone kind of gathers around. Let's unmask him. I'm like, well, who the hell is this? And they unmask him and it's the dude from the church. And he says, I am vengeance. And then Batman realizes, oh, my God, all these people, th- this is who I have been. I am I am vengeance and the Riddler and all of these doofuses with these sniper rifles, they were imitating me. I was wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, I need to help the city in a different way by 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 being like a, a Peace Corps volunteer that helps children out of the and, and, and brings them up to the helicopters. That's the theme of the movie, which is not a Batman theme at all. It's it's this last act of the movie is terrible. Or I, I hated the end of this movie. I, see, I disagree. And 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 uh, and uh, uh, Ella I'll elucidate on that a bit. They're sequels. That's how we'll get to know the mayor. I'm going to solve some of the riddle of, of, of the problem. But this is the second... I've been at this for two years. I think that you could expect setbacks and major ones. Batman does get beaten in a lot of ways in this. I thought that was kind of novel. 
Batman loses a bit. He has a little empire moment in this because he is behind the eight ball. He does get to the solutions late. It's only after he realizes that Nigma hasn't put two and two together that, that he's Batman, that Bruce Wayne and Batman are the same people, that he sort of gets more of the plan out of out of Nigma. And it is too late, but I think that's okay because sometimes you don't get to the to the kid you're trying to save. And and as to your point about everything he's done is been for nothing i think that's also false he saved lives he's helped he's helped a lot of people in gotham he certainly put the some some elemental fear in the criminal element of gotham and the realization is not i contend and i'll I'll put back to you and then i'll let anya chime in and tell us how we're both wrong that it's not that what he's been doing is wrong i am vengeance is wrong it's just that it's in his mission has been incomplete and there are other ways that he can legitimately help people in gotham and i thought that that was actually kind of a nice message and so i guess I, i i am diametrically opposed to to the whole tirade that we've heard there. Anya, chime in uh, and and let's hear what you have to say. Well, I I like both of your guys' point of view. Like, I, I like the idea that because of the Riddler, the Batman now sees everything from a different perspective. And I actually really liked it when it was too late in the film because the hero is never too late. And this Batman is flawed, like all of them, but he's new. And this is, I don't know, this is the first supervillain that we know of that he's contended against but also he realizes that this whole fight has been hasn't really been about the future about of Gotham it's been about everything that's happened in the past and he realizes that vengeance doesn't do anything just to um, change the past and that's what he's been he's been protecting the past and protecting the memories of his father and and trying to continue the legacy of his father when he realizes that that's not what he needs to do he needs to look to the future and he needs to be that symbol of hope for the people of Gotham. And that's that's where I came to my conclusion about his I was hinting that he has a in that moment with Alfred he has the beginnings of the of the of the notion that it, it's okay to put yourself out there and and try and and connect with people in a way that he hasn't really tried to do before and he's been even reclusive as the Batman. You know when he's around the cops he doesn't interact with them very much. He only interacts with Gordon and so so I think when he makes a decision not only to be fighting the bad guys but also to be saving people in the midst of the fight he's becoming the hero gotham needs <laughs> and and that might seem like a weak defense to you jason but i thought you were going to complain more about how the the riddler's lair was all taken directly from the set of seven and put in this which is true which is absolutely true look at all these journals <laughs> yes 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 i couldn't avoid that when i thought oh gosh this is is kevin spacey gonna pop out boo <laughs> But I thought that's what you're going to complain about. I didn't realize your complaints were going to be so. I mean, that was a pretty big rant. Well, and no, and subjectively, I mean, and subjectively, I can't really criticize what you're saying. I mean, I, well, I, I mean, get what you're saying. I, I like both of your responses. How I would respond, though, would be to say, like, I, I get what you guys are saying, but what I would suggest is that this movie. So this movie, I mean, I mean, actually, my my defense of my rant will actually be a compliment to the movie. The movie did a very good job of creating a Batman who was about vengeance but who didn't kill people. Like, there's not a scene in this movie like in Batman versus Superman where um, when Batman rescues um, Martha Martha. Kent 
and, and, and just sh shoots the shit out of people. Nothing like that happens in this movie. And in fact, as we pointed out, there are some poignant scenes where Batman tries to talk Catwoman out of doing that kind of thing. Even Batman, Batman's methods do not need redemption in this movie. Well, it doesn't. And, and yet that is, that's the point that he's brought to. Because what we are supposed to grab from that moment, I am vengeance. Oh my God. These people were, in, they thought that they were being like me. I created all of this. Maybe I need to do it in a different way. Now, where do they go from here? I would argue that because of what I just said, that in this movie, Batman doesn't kill anybody. He's not unreasonable. That the Batman 2 will have to be uh, Robert Pattinson as Adam West. I don't think it needs to go that far. Going to bars and ordering orange juice and going to church on Sunday. Like, this is... This, no, 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 no. It's not I good. Think, I, I don't no, think... I'm telling you... Far. Thematically, this does not. This ending does not work. It can go to the Neil Adams Batman, which is basically just the consulting detective Batman. Uh, I think you're both wrong here. Okay. <laughs> I think what this goes to is more Bruce Wayne That's, instead yeah. of 75, 25 Batman Bruce Wayne. We're going to get 50, 50 Batman Bruce Wayne because Bruce Wayne is going to come out there and he's going to be the philanthropist. He's going to be the playboy. He's going to he's going to put money into the city where it needs it and then on at night he's gonna beat up criminals but that's what i feel like we're going to i don't feel like there's gonna be like less violence i feel like there's going to be more daylight in the film like more well, robert pattinson the other thing I, I don't think i don't think that bruce wayne comes to the conclusion that i created this i think that the the big conclusion uh, i don't even know that he would be thinking as deeply as you are about this, I think that there's a fundamental understanding that he has misunderstood himself a little bit. He's not about vengeance. And you just you just illustrated all that by all the things that he does. He even tries to talk Gordon out of using a gun. And Gordon's like, that's your thing, man. See, that's what I mean. He doesn't, he, do, he actually doesn't need any redemption. No, no, I agree. But, so, but, but, but I want to dwell on that scene because actually I thought the scene was so freaking bizarre that he knocked out and just pummeled this this, this Riddler imitation after dispatching like 15 of them. Yeah. Pummels this one. Oh, I forgot about that, yeah. And then they're all like, let's unmask him. And in the theater, I was like, well, is this to get out of jail? Why Why is this such a big moment? He's just one Riddler out of like 17. Why are we unmasking him? They unmask him. It's the old guy from the church who had like one line. I am vengeance. And, and then, you know, oh, like what else would that scene mean? Except that it's the moment where Bruce realizes, oh my God, these people were imitating me. They were getting vengeance on all these people, on the, the, the wealthy people of Gotham who, who were, who were as crooked as, as 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 Falcone was, and so all of this, the Riddler, and the Riddler says this too. I thought you would get this. I thought we were on the same side, and he realizes that. Ah, now see, I didn't get any of that, and I'll tell you why. And this is this is more of a knock, maybe against me than uh, or or my or or my status. It is a knock against me for whatever reason. But I was fanboying out at this moment because he stuck venom into his leg. Get that. And, and so the only thing I was getting out of that was like, the reason why I thought he went overboard in that scene was because he was fucking roided out and somebody had just tried to hurt the woman that he sort of 
sweet on. And that's why that, that dude took a beating. And so sort of what I got out of that was he was sort of like, Oh, I really overreacted there. And that's, that's, I, I missed, I missed okay. what you seem to think that he's, he's got going on. Why, the, why the dramatic unmasking? Why there there's 25 of these guys. Why do we have to take this guy's mask off? There's no, didn't, does, does Batman say take the mask off uh, unmask him? He doesn't say that the camera comes in and they take off his mask. Yeah. Why, yeah. why, why, why? I, I, I agree that it was where we know it's not the Riddler. Yeah. I agree that that might've been a, a weird thing to do, but I, I didn't think about it in the moment because I just thought, Oh, he just but, fucking, we're going to get Bane in the next movie was what I thought. Okay. I, but, don't but, think I don't think it's that weird. And I also didn't think it was that dramatic. Like they're cops. They want to know who's behind that mask. They got to arrest him. But it's also like, there's like two sides of Gotham. There's like, like these people were given somebody that they thought was going to do something to change their life. Like the Riddler, they thought was actually doing something. I don't know. I just thought it was like, you could easily be this person or you could easily be someone else and the other thing too you keep saying that the riddler won and i don't know that that's true i mean the riddler certainly killed some people did he change anything not really i mean like gotham city is gonna like like every city even after a big natural disaster is gonna keep on keeping on will it change we won't know until the next three movies so i don't know he certainly had a a good run and he, he played batman he played gordon he played a lot of people in the city but if his end goal was to change things and upend things batman put a stop to the to the to the culling that the riddler was trying to affect goal was to stop the lies yeah and he did that his goal was to wash out the city by blowing up the levees he did that he did everything he wanted to do except shoot the mayor i don't i have no, look he didn't stop the lies I have no idea why he was upset in the final scene i have no idea he didn't kill everybody that he wanted to kill he didn't stop the lies batman is still going around saying i'm not bruce wayne he didn't stop the lies all right, we could probably go round and round on this, but I think we should move on. Uh, I don't even, I don't know if we even have to do a verdict. <laughs> yes, yes. Jason clearly thinks that this film is something that everybody should see. Eight stars out of four. Yeah, I don't think we necessarily need to do a verdict. So the end of the movie, also we see Batman actually actively saving people as opposed to just fighting crime, uh, which he's done in other films, but not as dramatically as this, where he really gets into the dirt uh, of saving people's lives. Since we maybe don't need to go into a verdict, um, Jason's pretty much made his opinion known. Anya's made her opinion known. I've made my opinion known. I want to ask a question uh, because I I vacillated on this a little bit. Uh, Was there ever a moment where you thought the score was a little too one note or were you guys, were you universally satisfied? I I kept coming back and forth like, is this enough? I love the theme, but I was wondering if they didn't keep reusing too much. There didn't seem to be a lot of variation. Now, Anya, what was your experience of this? Um, The first time I watched it, I kind of was like, oh, they're playing the song again. But the second time I watched it, I didn't care. I was like, oh, oh, they're playing the song again. Okay. Like, um... It was, it was working for you. Yeah. And the first time I saw it, I wasn't like, oh, this movie is too long. But I was like, I've been in this theater for a long time. Yeah, it just kind and of a long time. The second time I was like, I was just excited to see the movie again. I wasn't, I didn't, I've heard people say that it was like 40 minutes too long and 
I don't know. I just, I, I didn't mind it. Yeah. Okay. Jason, your, your, your position on the score. I, I loved the score. I, I actually thought the score was, um, I mean, of many good things about the movie, yeah. like, there are a lot. The score was one of the things I really liked. I like the use of the Nirvana song. I like that that kind of captured the whole Bruce Wayne as Kurt Cobain thing that they were going for. And it captured that very well. And then I thought uh, Michael uh, Giacchino's score was very much, very, it was dark. Mm-hmm. But it was very traditional classical, but it was built off of, I think, kind of motives from the song, from the pop song. That, that, that's really cool if that's, I mean, it's a great school, even if it's not I, the school. I mean, that's, I mean, that's, that's a theory really of mine. Yeah, I, I don't know that for a fact, but I felt that I heard that. But, but more than that, there were there were moments in the theater where I would hear, you know, kind of the Batman sport, uh, theme that you're talking about that you've mentioned several times that I actually asked myself, is this something that people will remember? Is this something that, it, you know, if I hear it a month from now, what I oh Batman and I, the answer is yes. I I um I think the score is beautiful. I loved it. I love the score. I love the music. Um, I I, I love the cinematography, the production design. Uh, I love the cast. This may seem like a contradiction. I thought that um it was well directed. It was a very well directed movie. I just my my biggest problems, which are glaring, are with the 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 story. Not and I and I kind of mentioned this earlier that there are probably seventeen vignettes in this movie that you could you could shave off and show somebody as this is what a Batman comic would look like if you made you know a, a movie or a scene this is Batman at work and and it would be perfect there there were times that watching Pattinson in the role of Batman whether it was a close-up or a long shot or or an action scene but specifically just his interactions his voice that I was almost hypnotized watching him like wow that's Batman yeah and and I I um, I, I loved every performance in the movie. Uh, I, I loved so many individual scenes, but I, I had a huge, enormous life-ending problem with that. <laughs> but, but but also something Anya was just talking about, about the the length. My problem with the length is, is not the length itself. It's that you know, I, I kind of mentioned in my rant about the mayor and how the mayor turned out to be such a very important figure for the Riddler's goal. To kill her was a big part of what he wanted to do and he failed to do it. And it was very clear that she was a, 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 a she's the key to Gotham's future. She's an idealistic, uh, visionary, young politician who has the ability to lead Gotham into the future. In a three-hour movie, why didn't we get to know her better? What, um, and, and I would compare that to The Dark Knight, where you know we have scenes of, now granted, it's Harvey Dent, who's a character that is very important, where he disarms the guy in the courtroom and then continues his cross-examination. Like, there's these moments. They don't take very long where we get a sense of how courageous this guy really is and what how it sets him apart from the average citizen of Gotham City. And we don't get that with her at all. She's and so she's almost like a John Bunyan or a C.S. Lewis character. She's she's a symbol of truth, but but she's not a character. We don't get to know that. We don't get to know anything about her. And that bothered me a lot because the only reason that the Riddler's plan failed is that he didn't kill her. And I thought that was just so dumb. Okay. There it is. Okay. Anya, I'll give you the last word on the film. I don't know what to say. 
Well, that's fine. Jason, I'm worried that you're going to sit me down for a three-hour film. Jason, what are we doing next? Well, I um, how about a shorter film? How about how about let's do Duel? Oh, well, that's that's on the works. That's in the agenda. But uh, yeah, so that, so we're doing Duel next. Okay, that's that's. Oh, wait, well, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. We're doing Duel, which I think will be dropped before this one. That yeah. means it's your turn. Okay, so oh gosh, okay, so maybe I can stave off having this is a new because this is a new film. This doesn't count. This is okay. So this is not in the rotation. We do new films. That's yeah, yeah, yes, that's, that's, right, that's right. Oh, so I get to choose next. So we're duels coming up next, and then we're going to do something else. Anya, what should we do? Let me think. Jesus, you guys are not Johnny on the spot tonight. Neither am I, apparently. <laughs> well, you can cut all of this out. That's true. That's true. What? Um, I think you should do. <laughs> Oh. I keep telling you guys to do Last Night in Soho. Oh, let's do Last Night in Soho. Oh, yeah, because I haven't seen that yet. Yeah, Last Night in Soho. So Last Night in Soho, after Duel, which Jason and I will record later this week, Steven Spielberg's first movie. Night in Soho has nothing to do with Steven Spielberg, and it's an Edgar Wright film. Strangely, not starring Simon Pegg or Nick Frost. And that's going to do it tonight. Folks, share us on all the podcatchers that you can possibly use. Share us with your friends. No, no. Share us on the Twitters and the Facebooks. Listen to us on all the pod catchers that is possible. Anya has her hand up. Follow us on Max and Jason Watch a Movie on Instagram. I just made you guys an Instagram. Oh, look at that. So that's right. We're going to have to change the thing here if Anya's going to be joining us too much it's going to have to be Max and Jason and Anya watch a movie and occasionally a TV show and uh, yeah follow us on the, what's the Instagram thing what is it again it's just the name of the show Max and Jason watch a movie okay and eventually Anya will probably set us up with a TikTok and <laughs> and a uh, what is it a WhatsApp I don't know what no, no, not a WhatsApp not a WhatsApp uh, what about a maybe a Twitter maybe, uh, maybe, maybe a Twitter because I that would be good. Maybe a tweeter. Tweeter. Text us to your friends, to your mother, to your father, to your grandfather if they're tech savvy, your great grandfather if they're really still with it. They're they're probably not. They're probably in a nursing. They're alive. And uh, we'll see you guys next week with Duel. Jason, who just who stars in Duel? It's a really old looking guy. Dennis Weaver. Dennis Weaver probably looked old when he was thirty. He does a great job of looking old and scared in Duel. That's it, guys. Night. Adios. Ha! What are you supposed to be? I'm vengeance. I think the movie is perfect. And I don't care about your guys' complaints. <laughs> <laughs>